This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. What you say? Just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Oi! We begin with another challenge facing this country. How to secure the nation's borders and improve our broken immigration system. There is near universal recognition among Americans that the current immigration process is broken. And Congress has struggled for years to come up with a solution that will gain enough support to become law. The House has passed a bill that is a non-starter in the Senate. And we spoke with Speaker Mike Johnson about that earlier this year. But a bipartisan group of senators unveil their proposal. That bill would allow the president to shut down asylum processing during spikes in illegal crossings. It also gives the Department of Homeland Security the ability to expedite deportations. The proposal limits access to asylum and requires cases to be reviewed within six months. Right now, there is no time limit, and many cases languish for years before their process. Four suspects who are apprehended are believed to have already fled New York State. Police say as many as 14 people might have been involved in the attack. Local businesses in Times Square say migrants have been targeting their stores. We spoke to retailers who say for weeks migrant men have been storming into their store and stealing merchandise. We are told that in one instance, the manager had to call police because the men got physical. This, as DA Alvin Bragg is preparing to present charges to a grand jury in the case of the beating of the two NYPD officers. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg announcing that on Tuesday, a grand jury will hear evidence regarding the brutal assault on two NYPD officers by a group of migrants in Times Square last weekend. In a rare joint statement with the police commissioner, the DA says it is clear from video and other evidence that some of the most culpable individuals have not yet been identified or arrested, and we are working hand-in-hand with the NYPD to to find and hold them accountable for their despicable acts, adding he is preparing to present charges to a grand jury. Police Commissioner Edward Caban stating an attack against a police officer is an attack against our entire society. He went on to say we will work tirelessly with the office of the Manhattan District Attorney to identify and arrest every person who participated in this event. Since the attack, D.A. Bragg has been facing growing criticism from police, the public and even the governor. So far, six men have been charged with felonies, but only one is being held right now in Rikers. The other five walked out of court despite the charges being bail-eligible offenses. This was Bragg responding to critics on Friday. I was disturbed. I was disgusted. We do not tolerate people assaulting police officers. But in a court of law, our profound obligation is to make sure we have the right people charged with the right crimes. The video of the NYPD lieutenant and cop being beaten has retailers in Times Square on alert. On Saturday night, we saw police standing guard outside some of the stores. We reached out to the NYPD asking about the shoplifting by migrants in Times Square, but we have not heard back. I want to go to Israel. Sid Rosenberg, Sid's the morning host of, I think, the most popular morning show in the nation. At WABC, I'm honored to be a contributor uh, every Monday with Sid. He's in Israel and joins us from Jerusalem. Now, you went there for a week because you wanted to do your own due diligence. Can you give us an update? Because it's quite a confusing situation. We hear the Biden regime is trying to cut arms shipments to Israel. Can you give us an update, Sid, on what's the what's the ground truth over there? 
It is confusing because you've got a president, Steve, who, unlike uh, our friend Trump, who did all these great things for Israel, from recognizing the Golan Heights to making Jerusalem the capital, which so many of the presidents had promised, the Abraham Accords, no more Palestinian cash overnight. Now you got this guy, Joe Biden, who shows up on October the 12th, the 13th, makes us wait 90 minutes to come up there and do a Fakakta speech. We talks about some meeting he had with Golda Meir 50 years ago. It's probably never happened. And he says, I love Israel. And then no one said to him, yeah, but Joe, baby, Joe, baby, if you love Israel, how can you explain the fact that not in one but two administrations, dating back to when you're the VP for Barack Obama, and now when you're the president, that you got guys like John Kerry in your cabinet looking to strike deals with Iran, that you loosened all the restrictions and sanctions that Donald Trump put in place, making sure Iran couldn't buy a loaf of bread. And because of all that, now Iran is rich oil money from China. You gave him $6 billion a couple of months ago. How can you possibly be pro-Israel when you're in bed with Iran? And the answer, Steve, really is, is he's not. He's fooling some of the people, even some Jews, but not here. They know the real deal. Joe Biden is no friend. Hey, Sid, this is Arky Stamen. You interviewed me um, a couple days ago, the soldier that works with uh, extracting bodies from war. And uh, I'm actually a tour guide and Yehuda. Judah Hahnemann sent me this coin that he bought for you, and it is uh, really special. And I thought I would just tell you what's so special about it. You see, this coin was minted um, the last time that the Jewish people had an army protecting them. That was 1,800 years ago. In the year 136, the Jewish people had enough of a foreign rule of the Romans, and um, they took up an armed revolt. The whole nation took up an armed revolt against the Romans in order to be once again a free people in their land. Um, and so to hold evidence that is 1,800 years old, saying we have always been willing to fight the Jewish people to be in our land, to be free in our land, and we are continuing to be willing to put our lives on the line for this land. Let me say something to you. There are heroes on the battlefield, there may be heroes on the internet, and there's people like you. And we, your voice, you don't even realize. You don't even realize how important your voice is, so please keep doing what you're doing, because from my perspective, you're a hero.
know, that whole um, holy hero stuff makes me a little uncomfortable, to be honest. The great Mariah Carey here and Hero on the heels of Hillel Fold, one of the more popular Israeli voices since the war started. Guy that is a, a genius when it comes to tech, but has become a huge Israeli advocate. And he joined us, I believe it was Wednesday, from JNS Studios in Jerusalem last week, calling me a hero. And I'm going to tell you, Lewis, um, at the risk of sounding arrogant and brash, and again, I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm not, I'm not okay with it. A lot of folks call me that. Uh, I can't tell you how many people, right in front of Danielle, Avon Gabe, and it made Danielle crazy, would stop me in the streets of Jerusalem and go, what a great week. And I'm like, what do you mean, what a great week? You listen? I mean, who are you? What, you're walking in the streets of Jerusalem. Justin could attest to this, too. But, man, I mean, I, I landed back at Kennedy Airport. What a mess that was. And there's a guy. He was either Polish or Russian. His name is Matt. And he um, he was walking one of those dogs, you know. And he walked over to me. I was getting my bag. And he said, uh, I hate to bother you, but... You're a hero. <laughs> Will you stop? He also loves Curtis. He's a big Curtis fan. He says the best segment of the week is when Curtis comes on with you every morning. So Curtis says, um, boy, Curtis's stock has gone up so much since I put him on this show every day. I mean, he has no idea. But the hero stuff is is um, beautiful. And believe me when I tell you, I love hearing it. I'd be lying if I said I didn't. But it does make me a little uncomfortable because... What did I do, really? What did we do? You know, I promised the audience and my Jewish friends and Christian friends who have been heartbroken since October the 7th, I was going to get there. And I did, but I must tell you that without the help of Yehuda Hanikman listening right now somewhere in Jerusalem, without the help of Scott at One Israel Fund, both on Long Island and in Israel, we don't get there. That's the bottom line. We do not get there. And, of course, without the blessings of John and Margot Katsimatidis, my guy Chad Lopez, it doesn't happen. So I wanted it to happen from, from day one. I was hoping somebody would make it happen, and a lot of folks did. But if showing up in a land where my people were tortured, murdered, and still are makes me a hero, well, that's great. But I just, I don't see it that way. But the last time we were on the air with you guys was Thursday. You remember we did not do a show from Israel on Friday because that's the Sabbath, and JNS Studios and Alex Trayman will join us coming up at 8.15 this morning. They closed, so we had nowhere to do the show. So we decided that was going to be the day we were going to go down south because it's about a two-hour trip from our hotel in Jerusalem down to the Gaza border. So Yehuda Hanikman set it up with the guy from Zaka. And what Zaka does is very similar to what our friend Arky Stamen, who was in the open, does. Arky's a soldier. He goes into battlefields and retrieves bodies. Zaka are civilians. So we had this guy, Eli, for example, who was completely shaken. For the last five months, you can tell this guy he's never been the same. Sweet guy, great guy, never been the same. And he picked us up very early on Friday morning at the hotel. Me, Justin, Ava, and Gabe, Danielle couldn't handle it. And we went down there. And it was just about everything we thought it was going to be without seeing it five months before. We started the the day by going to a couple of yards 
where they were storing the cars from the kids at the Nova Festival and some of the cars from folks who tried to escape the terrorists. And you can go to my Instagram page. I recommend you do at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney on Instagram, Facebook, Sid Rosenberg. And what we saw were cars and cars piled up on top of each other, completely incinerated and burnt. Because as these kids were fleeing from the terrorists, they were literally shooting RPGs. What that stands for is rocket propelled grenades into these cars. The temperature is about 10 times as high as the jet fuel that took down the World Trade Center. Think about that for a second. And these cars were incinerated. And they were piled on top of each other in one yard. Then we went to a second yard where the cars were not incinerated. They were just riddled with bullets. And the cars that were marked with an X meant somebody died in that car. And there were hundreds of cars that had X's on the windshield, blown out windshields, and all the items that these people had in their cars that day, water bottles, coats, jackets, whatever it was, still inside the car. I mean, really eerie. And that's how we started the day, just looking at cars. Fair to say, Justin, that was um, that was brutal enough? Yeah, I mean, it, they were more than cars. They were, uh, in a way... You know, final resting places. There were yeah. graves, you know. So they that's, were. that's yeah. kind of the way uh, I looked at it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just going back on what you said, too, about people calling you a hero and being proud. I mean, you know, everybody from my parents to my siblings were saying how proud they were. I mean, to me, really, it was uh, you should really be proud of the kind of resilience, the camaraderie of the uh, of the Israelis to even make this that that trip doable for us and to make us feel like we were comfortable going down there uh during a time of war and uh that's all due to the way that they're able to work together down there to make that act, at least a um a safe space for uh for civilians to go down and see what's actually going on. No, you're right and uh you know Yehuda and the rest of those folks did do that and I talked an awful lot in the two interviews I did one jns.org which is a big deal in Israel the other uh, what is it? One Israel? No. Um, what is the other one? I did uh, Thursday. Oh, uh, that, that they have the audio and the uh, copy. It's yes, a big deal. Yes, yes, that Israel was National Israel News. National News. Yes. And I talked about the the camaraderie. Bill O'Reilly asked me last week, "What are you so impressed by?" And I said, "The loyalty of the Jewish people, loyal to us as well, coming from New York." And you're right. They they were great. And they made us feel like a million bucks, including your aunt and uncle. But um, you know, once we got past the cars. We started to make our way towards the Nova Music Festival and the Kibbutzim down in uh, the south, right by Gaza. Literally, folks, three quarters of a mile away. So he stops Ellie, our Zaka guide, at a bomb shelter. So I, I, I was really surprised to see what bomb shelters were there. I figured they were underground. You had to walk down steps. There was room for 100 people. These bomb shelters are on the side of the road. They're all painted on the outside, very colorful, picture of a dog, picture of a girl blowing bubbles, and it's not downstairs. You walk into it like a bus stop almost. You know those, they have like those glass bus stops. You walk into it, there's room for about 20 people. That's it. And the first one we walked into, there were 23 people inside that specific bus stop, bus stop, uh, bomb shelter, 
on that morning. And we have a video that you can see on my Instagram that this guy, Ellie, showed to us. And my daughter, Ava, actually got it on video. We have a video of the terrorists, these Hamas bastards, throwing grenades inside it. And some of the Israeli kids in there throwing the grenades back out. But eventually, they threw in too many grenades. And of the 23 people inside this bomb shelter, 16 were killed. And you can see the massive explosion. But I was shocked that, A, they're right there on the side of the road, and, B, there is no downstairs. You just walk right in, weren't you, Justin? Yeah, I was even shocked that they do the, they do the job. You yeah. Know? I mean, we were watching this video of, of you know, like you said, uh, the Hamas throwing um, the grenades in, in and it, the thing's handling it like it's built, obviously, like it's built for it, which it is. But I was with you. I thought, you know, there was at least, um, you know, like a, a hatch or a latch or something right. that then went down into, you know, underground. But no. No. They're right there, and we saw a bunch of those, all riddled with bullets. Whatever we saw, cars, bomb shelters, Noam, all all riddled with bullets. Yeah. So far, it looks like I've got your attention here, Noam, so far, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, very yeah. intense. So then we went to Nova, and you can see the video on my page, and Justin as well. And somebody said to me, well, there's nothing left because all the cars are gone, and now it's just one big field. That is not true. So when you get to the dancing area which is a few feet back. You're not allowed in. Uh, thank God this soccer guide was able to get us in. He had to drive. There was a very rainy, cold day, uh, mud everywhere, and he had a hard time getting his car back there, but he did it, and he got us in when they initially told us no. And what it is is now you've got poles with 8 by 10 pictures, beautiful color pictures of the dead. And in the video I have on my Instagram uh, there was one particular girl, there were so many pretty people, men and women, mind you, one one girl who was so beautiful, and I'm standing uh, by the spot where she died, and you've got pole after pole after pole with 8 by 10 photos of all these kids and people that were killed, men and women, side candles at the very bottom, and some of the stuff they had with them that day, lighters, shoes, all that. And now that beautiful field, as I said on Instagram, which was once filled with music, dancing, and laughter, is one large memorial for many, many, many feet, many faces. That's what that field has been reduced to. That was a very difficult spot. Yeah, that was really difficult. But then you look out into the distance, and it's sort of this uh, this silver lining, not you know, not to make positive light of any of this, but they're planting these trees in uh, in place of all the dead that were right. uh, that were victims of the Nova uh, massacre. So, you know, the Israelis uh, and, and the Jewish people as a whole, you know, that's part of kind of uh, of the religion as a whole, which is, you know, where there is death, we try and, and grow anew and, and come, life, back, and come right. back stronger. Yeah. So, so, so we left Nova, we attempted to go into all these kibbutzim, and uh, they did not allow us to go in. And uh, for folks that said to me, well, I could have gotten you in, I will say this, probably not, because it wasn't that they were uh, keeping us out because we were just, uh, we didn't have the permits. What was happening that day, that specific day was, families who left the kibbutzim on October the 7th were moving back 50 families. What was the other big one? Barit, is that the first one, the big one? Yeah, kibbutz Barit, yeah. Yeah, 50 families were moving back in that day. Well, let me just say this to you, too. We stayed at a very nice hotel, the Herbert Samuel Hotel in Jerusalem. Very, very nice. And it was it was shocking. Uh, folks who had to stay at the Roosevelt Hotel, other hotels in New York City with the migrants, 
And it turns out a lot of these migrants are really scumbags and lowlines. Not the case of the Israelis. Our hotel basically has become living quarters for folks that ran from the south and now are living someplace else. So all these families that were living down there in the kibbutzim are now living at the Herbert Samuel Hotel and other hotels inside Jerusalem. The difference is these are wonderful people, beautiful little kids. They had birthday parties almost every day. We ate with them breakfast and lunch every day. So a lot of those families have been displaced. But they started returning home of all days the day that uh, Justin and I and my kids went down to the south, and that made it doubly difficult to enter the kibbutzim. So I made some videos from outside the gate, but you know the story. They went in there, and uh, most of the kibbutzim, it was a Shabbos morning, did not allow them in. They stood outside the terrorists for four, five, six hours. They never got in because there was nobody there to open the gate. In this specific kibbutzim where they raped the women and cut off the heads of the babies and put live babies in ovens and all that stuff, somebody opened the gate for them. That was the problem. But many of those places, thank God, or a lot more would have been dead. They never opened the gates. But uh, I've got video on my phone from the Zaka guy of the terrorists, dead terrorists, lining the streets, lining the streets on their way out of the kibbutzim when Israelis started to fight back. And you saw that video too, Justin, right? Yeah, very graphic video. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, these people uh, really had had to defend themselves for, for a long time. Like four or five hours. And, they, and a lot of them yeah. did a very, very good job, but they eventually went out of ammunition. Right. And when they did, I mean, the terrorists came. Somebody said, I think it was Aaron, who said they had enough ammunition for a month. Right let alone six, seven hours for a month. Yeah. And these poor Israeli families who did kill a bunch of them, a bunch, and kept them at bay, eventually became just prey for the terrorists. So anybody out there who's marching in the street and telling you that these Palestinians are innocent people, they're good people, the Israelis are, are committing genocide, they're murderers, they're scumbags, they're liars, they're lowlifes, I saw it. That's it, folks. I was there. It was one thing to talk about this, as we've done since October the 7th, getting all the news, as tragic as it sounded. Now I saw it. Now Justin saw it. Now Danielle, Ava, and Gabriel saw it. And if you thought I was a staunch defender of Israel before, I will break your face in the street. I will break your effing face in the street. Don't give me any pro-Palestine nonsense. Don't talk to me about innocent Palestinian civilians. I don't want to hear it. And now, if I was pissed at Mayor Adams and the rest of the cops before, now look out. I don't want to hear it. You have no idea, if you're still in New York, you have no idea the atrocities and the disgusting things these people did. My daughter, Ava, actually interviewed two children who were living at the hotel with us. Two beautiful little girls. One was six, one was nine. And they are terrified to go outside, scared to go home. What they did was absolutely disgusting. And for anybody, anybody to put this on the Israelis, those are the people that should be beat up in the streets, not us. Got it, Noam? I got it. And you know what I was thinking as you were saying this all? It, in some ways, it seems like it's a long time ago, but come Tuesday, or rather Wednesday, it'll only be four months since the attack. Yeah. That's not a lot of time at all. No, it's 119 days. That's right. Because, uh, you know, Rachel Goldberg, whose son, um, Hirsch, is one of the hostages. Hopefully he's still alive. Who knows? They blew his elbow off. She uh, she wears a piece of mask and tape, which I did on Brian Kilmeade show on Fox News about three weeks at the 100-day mark. 
Well, she changes that tape every day and adds the next day. And we are uh, getting very close, as you just said, Noam, to 120 days, which will be four months. So that's uh, a little look that we did on Friday. And then we uh, spent most of Saturday and Sunday coming home. It's a long day, folks, between going to the airport, going through customs, 11-hour flight, another hour at customs at Kennedy Airport. Took about 15 hours, but we're here, back in New York City, and a big show about to come your way. Jacqueline Tobarov, Curtis Sliwa, Rich Lowry, Alex Trayman once again live from Israel, Steve Bannon, Anthony D'Esposito, and a heck of a lot more. Sid and friends in the morning, once again live from New York City. Welcome back. digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note, the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. On Friday, we were inside the bomb shelter. I'm not sure if I brought this up last segment. I've forgotten already, but we were inside the bomb shelter. And at that point, we're about three-quarters of a mile away from the Gaza border. I mean, we're really close. And there's a real war going on, folks, real war. And I'm not sure if it was a tank or a bomb, but I've never felt anything or heard anything like this in my whole life, to the point where my whole body shook. So my daughter Ava's inside the bomb shelter. She hears this. Same thing happened to her and Justin. Literally, her whole body shook. And she starts to cry, like hysterical. I want to go home. I want to get out of here. Because it sounded like they were dropping bombs, literally, outside this bomb shelter. And they were probably a mile or so away. But even you have to admit, Justin, that first blast, that scared the living daylights out of us. Yeah, I thought really immediately to follow would have been a siren. Yeah, me that, too. That, I, 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 that's what I thought was happening. Me too. Yeah. And uh, I was telling Ava, calm down, calm down. But the truth is, I was scared to death. I mean, this thing was loud, yeah. and it shook. And, and after that, we continued to hear bombing and uh, those loud sounds really all morning long. But that was the worst one. One other point about Nova. Somebody said to me, worse than 9-11. And it was because, look, 9-11 was horrendous. But, you know, people had to jump out of a building. It was so hot and 
horrible inside those buildings that they decided I'd rather die by jumping out a hundred floors. But in this case, even at the Nova Music Festival, they didn't show up and just shoot these kids. Didn't go that way. What they did was was they made them undress. They raped and had sex with the girls, cut their breasts off before they killed them. They raped the guys. They made the guys have sex with each other. I mean, they were doing things that were unbelievable, cutting off private parts of guys. And again, gang raping girls before they killed them. They killed them all, but it wasn't like they just came in and shot them. They tortured these kids and these folks for hours at that Nova Music Festival and did the same inside the kibbutz Yeah, They cut out eyes of little kids, yeah. cut off fingers, cut off men's penises, cut off women's breasts, put grenades inside women's private parts. I mean, 9-11 was nothing like this. Yeah, and one of the points Ellie made, uh, which reiterates this point, is that they got so distracted by doing those by things. By raping the girls. At the Nova Music Festival that they actually, it impeded their ability to get further into Israel. Right. And, and do more, uh, more, more, you know, more they, carnage. In I the, guess in they the wanted to go all the way to Sdrot. Yeah. And uh, he made the point that they got so caught up with the girls. Yeah. And the guys, but mostly the girls. But you're right. They, they could not... They were not able to go further, which they could have done because, again, the response time was uh, poor, to yeah. say the least. I think they were trying to get to Ashdod. Uh, Ashdod, yeah. that's right. And, yes. Uh, and they, they couldn't get down there because they got they got distracted and took too much time, yeah. you know, defiling these people at the at the, mass, at the uh, Nova Music Festival. At the festival yeah. and inside the kibbutzim as right, well. Right, exactly. I mean, they entered on a Saturday morning, and uh, Israeli cops and the soldiers, two days later, on Monday, were going through the kibbutz. And there were still terrorists inside. Yeah. They were still alive and inside two days later. Mm-hmm. We covered this event in New York on October the 9th like it was over. They were still there inside. Yeah. yeah. In some instances, for four or five days they were running Four around. or five days. Yeah. And he said that some got basically walked right back into, into Gaza. Walked un- right unscathed. back in. Walked right back in. Like they had a week, va- week-long vacation yeah. of, of carnage in Israel. I mean, they, they figure right about 3,500 terrorists got in that day. Uh-huh. And what, about uh, 1,500 just walked right back home? Pretty much, yeah. They also, he also told us uh, we were driving, we were a good, I don't know, five miles away from the Nova Music Festival, and he was pointing out, you see that field right there? We found dead bodies there, yeah. people who were shot or stabbed, who ran and kept running and kept running, and eventually a couple of miles down the road in these fields, they just dropped dead. And the only way they would I'd be able to identify those people was would be by the flocks of birds that were eating that them. Are, that were eating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. just the hor- the horror. You, you guys, you have no idea. You don't. So when you see a pro-Palestinian rally, when you see these mother effers out there talking about from the river to the sea and how Israel is committing genocide, you have no idea until you go what these people have been going through, have gone through. They're still going through. There are still a hundred hostages out there. I can't even imagine what they're doing to these babies and young girls. There is no two sides here. There is not two sides. One disgusting group of people who have been doing the same thing, and it goes way before 1948. But one disgusting group of people who have blown up buses and pizzerias and raped and murdered Israelis for years. And it's not just in Gaza it's in Judea, Samaria. It's in the north. It's everywhere. And you know what? It's time to eradicate Israel from all of it. That's the bottom line. I don't want to hear about innocent Palestinians because every person I spoke to, 
First of all, they call them Arabs. They are still very comfortable in Israel calling them Arabs. And they go, look, I had dinner at Alex Trayman's house on Friday night. Okay, he lives in Jerusalem. Right outside his house, to the right, is an Arab village. 250,000 Arabs. Quarter of a million. He says, yeah, I see him every day. I work with them. I see him. I don't trust them. They don't trust these people. They don't go, oh, that's a good Arab. They all say the same thing. You just don't know. They smile at you. They shake your hand. You just don't know if and when they want to kill you. So this idea that, oh, everybody gets a I mean, Noam, you couldn't be any more wrong. I, I know your, your family tells you, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's not one person, right or wrong, Justin, we met, that didn't say even the ones that we interact with every day, you cannot trust them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because you had instances on the on the seventh where you know families were recognizing the people uh, raiding these these kibbutz. Yeah, those kids are yeah. working at their houses. Right, exactly. So you know, I think something like that happens, and now it just it, it reinvigorates that uh, hate that that sixth sense that yeah. these Israelis have when it comes to uh, to the Arabs, and then vice versa. Of course, it's it's just the both of these groups generally do not like each other one bit. Not even a little. And we walked through those Arab quarters, you know, the Muslim shops on the way to the Western Wall, and you heard it. The guy told me to shut the F up. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I was getting stares, they wanted, and I was wearing a shirt that yeah. was an American flag and an Israeli flag. And I remember that morning, I was thinking to myself, I can wear something that says nothing, or I can say, hey, look at me. Yeah. So yeah. I purposely wore something that said, look did. at me. Of course you did. Yeah. They also don't know what, I don't lie me. Come on, bitch. Let's do this. And my kids are like, dad, 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 stop, dad, 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 stop. But, I mean, you can't walk two feet without an Arab looking you in the face like they want to kill you. Right. I mean, right or wrong? No, you're 100% right. It is Everything. so testy, my God. Yeah, especially around the old city, you know. Border, border patrol is is uh, cranked up, you know. I mean, it's it's even inside the walls. You can kind of, uh, maybe it was just me, but I could feel like sort of a, just a, a more palpable tension that, me uh, too. that than I'm used to. It so. wasn't just you, it's true. So, All right, so we're going to have a lot more stuff to cover, though. While we were there, we certainly paid attention to Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I did a lot of interviews about Joe Biden. Mayor Eric Adams, oh, my God. See, having a rough couple of weeks. When 50 Cent turns on you, that's when you know you're in trouble. When 50 Cent, and I know Michael Rappaport's been saying the same thing for months, too. He's ready to, uh, to vote for Trump, too. Michael Rappaport, who hates Trump. But when 50 Cent turns on you, Mr. Mayor, <laughs> comes out and says, maybe it is time to vote for Trump, you know things are going rough for you in that race. So I don't know what uh, what the, the mayor is uh, saying these days, but between migrants beating up cops in Times Square, migrants robbing stores in Times Square, migrants robbing stores in Kings Plaza, migrants committing crimes all over the city, and now this mayor wants to give these people credit cards. There's a lot to talk about, folks, but we got to get some traffic from Joe Nolan. And, of course, right now it's time for the 77 WABC Clip of the Day. Listen to the Cats Roundtable. That's my guy, John Katz and Matides. Love him. That's where common sense prevails, always telling both sides of the story every Sunday morning starting at 8 or listen anytime on the app. Here, John talks with Queens DA, Curtis's ex-wife, Melinda Katz.
There's some big busts uh, happening in uh, in Queens. Would you fill us in on it? Sure, there are. There is a never-ending pursuit of ghost guns and weapons throughout my borough. I have a crime strategies unit that I hired when I became the district attorney. It is staffed with analysts and with ADAs and with detective investigators. And we're going after the guns. And just two weeks ago or so, on January 17th, after a uh, long-term investigation, we executed a search warrant for some of these homemade weapons. And we found not only ghost guns, we found a 3D printer. We not only found 600 rounds of ammunition, which is very dangerous. Oi! This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. I was disturbed. I was disgusted. We do not tolerate people assaulting police officers. But in a court of law, and our profound obligation is to make sure we have the right people charged with the right crimes. Yeah, you tell them. That's our scumbag Manhattan DA, low-life piece of shizzle, Alvin Bragg. God, what a piece of garbage. Big shout-out to my friends listening right now live at JNS Studios in Jerusalem, where me and Justin did the show last week for four days. Alex Trayman, the CEO, will join me coming up at 8.15 locally this morning. And uh, Avia Asner, she's listening right now, and Dove, and and uh, Ryan, the whole crew at JNS Studios. We've also got Mark Provisor listening somewhere in Jerusalem. So my WhatsApp is on fire right now with folks listening all over Israel, which is great. But uh, Alvin Bragg doing the talking there. That brings me to my next guest. She's terrific, been here many times before. Her book is Super Moms Activated, and it's uh, done very, very well. If you haven't bought it, go buy it now. And that is our friend Jacqueline Toberoff, who actually came in this morning. I spoke to Jacqueline about midnight, so she didn't sleep much either. Good morning, Jacqueline. How are you? you thank um, you for having thank you. me thank you you didn't sleep uh, very very much last night did you four hours it's still dark out i went to sleep <laughs> it was dark i woke up and it's dark <laughs> well thank you for uh, for coming in we uh, we spoke a little bit when i was in israel and uh, eric adams the issue of course with the, the migrants the illegals beating up cops in times square you heard alvin bragg there the credit card situation so where exactly do you want to start with this mayor I mean, things are so bad. You went away and it just it reminds me that weak men bring about very weak times. So we had a mob of illegals beat up cops after looting, by the way, a nearby store in Times Square. That is where Broadway is. And you get extorted by cars to go there. You're visiting a crime scene. And when you leave, it's total. It's mayhem. You're basically in a crime scene. That's the city. And then on top of that, he wants to, uh, the mayor, after these migrants did that, the crime scene you're talking about, and it's not just exclusive to Times Square. We've got major problems in Brooklyn, you know, robbing stores in King's Plaza, and uh, also violence there and all over the country, really. Now he wants to find a way to give these people credit cards. Explain that to me. Yeah, it's hard to explain. Basically, on the heels of these illegal aliens beating up police officers and then, by the way, getting lost, they've supposedly fled to California, so we can't even keep track of our criminals. We then reward criminals, illegals by definition, and give them $53 million in debit cards. By the way, that number is a total lie because there is no stopping the flood that's coming here. So you think it's a lot more than $53 million. Yeah. I mean, this is a pilot program. So then why would the mayor, I mean, look at his approval rating. It's it's terrible. 
in all these polls, uh, these uh, fictitious race between him and Andrew Cuomo, the former governor who's got his own issues, right? He's beating Adams by upwards of 30. It's like Trump DeSantis, same exact thing. And uh, talking to people who know the governor very well, he's going to run. He's not waiting for Eric to be indicted or go to prison. None of that is true. Andrew Cuomo, write it down right now, take it from me, is going to run for mayor, even if Eric Adams is a free man. And right now, if the race was today, he will bludgeon Eric Adams. And a lot of that is because Adams, on one hand, talks about the crisis. On the other hand, let's give him credit cards. Let's continue to bend over backwards to make them happy while Americans, homeless veterans, are miserable. Why would he do that? Well, he has this weird distinction of being with de Blasio. Everyone hates Adams. It has nothing to do, despite what he says with his race. It has to do with these terrible policies that he has ushered in. He has destroyed the greatest city in the world, which is New York City. Well, it was destroyed before. I mean, de Blasio destroyed it. But I think the problem was, the expectation was, Eric Adams on his white horse, former cop, he's going to solve the crime crisis. He's going to make things better. So I think I think de Blasio destroyed the city, but I think the expectations were Adams would fix it. He's done anything but. He's done anything but. You know, he was labeled a moderate, but he was never a moderate. He ran. He campaigned on allowing the then non-citizens to be able to vote. And at the time, there were 800,000. He was a radical when he was campaigning. Zero surprise that he's acting like he's acting now. And it turns out, look, people don't like these policies. You are a great mother. And every time you come on, my wife enjoys your, your visit because you talk about the kids and the school. And you actually did one for city council at one point. Yes. Are you going to do it again? I don't know. If if you run with me, maybe we'll do <laughs> yeah. it together. No, thank you. I'll help you win. Okay, I'll fine. make sure you win, but uh, it's all yours, sweetheart. Then I'm in. All right. This uh, article came out in the Post talking about the kids. Around 80 New York City educators attend divisive anti-Israel seminar to learn tips for teaching kids about, quote, genocide in Gaza. So this guy, Banks, comes in, and a lot of people liked him. Said, oh, this guy's a pretty good guy. You talk about Adams being a disappointment. This guy, Banks, is even worse. I just explained for the last 40 minutes what our trip to Israel was like and how disgusting, disgusting these crimes were committed by Palestinians. Yes, they're they're Hamas. They're still Palestinians. And they're going to teach these kids in class about the genocide that the Israelis are committing in Gaza. Explain that to me. Well, Banks and Adams have a very long history. So... The whole thing there is very strange. Banks has presided over what has become the Islamification of the New York City school system. It is disgusting. And this also goes right back to Eric Adams. They are obsessed with DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, which is racist and anti-Semitic. And you saw that ridiculous sham of a press conference where Banks called two of these people that participated in that Hillcrest Hamas outpost as extraordinary. They were amazing. They could barely string a sentence together. If that's the state of our education, it's pathetic. Then how can Eric Adams claim that he's there for the Jewish people? And I've seen it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I actually went to Gracie Mansion when Jewish Heritage Week was ending. Mm-hmm. And Eric put on a marvelous speech. And a lot of Jewish dignitaries were there. You know, these asshole liberals that continue to vote for Democrats right. who hate the Jews. Uh, they're all there and they're all proud. Eric is my guy. So on one hand, there he is. You know, kind of like Biden. Biden says, I'm there for Israel, but he funds Iran. Eric, the same thing. I love the Jews, but he's got, he's got a guy like Banks working for him who's okay with teachers talking about Israelis committing genocide. How does he do that? 
Yeah. Well, isn't it fundraising season? Like always. I mean, isn't that how they do that? I think you're right. That's what it comes down to basically, right? Right. Uh, he could uh, fundraise all he wants. <laughs> it's kind of like Nikki Haley. She, uh, she's got a lot of money, but she's not going to beat Donald Trump. Right. He can fundraise all he wants, but right now he's taking a beating in, uh, in all of these polls. All right. So, uh, clearly you don't think Eric Adams is doing a very good job. This guy, Brad Lander, he's the controller. So it turns out, Jacqueline, that Brad Lander goes to a dinner last Friday night. You ready for this? It's a Shabbat dinner, but, but, these are all anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian animals. And this guy, who's the controller, who's Jewish, this is Bernie Sanders, this is Ron Kuby. This guy sits and eats with these people, and he's going to run for mayor too? Brad Lander? Right. We have to start differentiating. Not all Jews are pro-Jew, are pro-Israel, and pro-America. We've seen this with Soros. We've seen this with Zuckerberg. We've seen this with Bernie Sanders. And yes, we're seeing it with Brad Lander. When you hang out with Shahana Hanif and Sandy Nurse that are virulent anti-Jew haters, don't give me the BS that you are pro-Jew. You know, I see you a lot on Instagram in uh, very exotic places. And you're not afraid to wear a bikini on social media. God bless you. No, I'm not. But <laughs> I know. I'm wearing a bikini now. No, I'm not. <laughs> I've seen you on the beach in Miami. I've seen you in, in other places, I think, out of the country. All these beautiful places. But yet, here we are before 7 a.m. on a cold, dark New York City morning. <laughs> and here you are. And, and you're thinking about running for office again. I'm always amazed by people who can get out of here, like my boss. John Katsimatidis, he's worth a couple of billion. He does not have to be here. He can live anywhere he wants in the world, and yet he's still here on the Upper East Side. We just had a really good 10-minute conversation of why the city is basically a hellhole. Why do you keep coming back? Okay, I think this is crucial. We should not be giving up seating New York City. This is our place. Where the hell are we going? The illegals are streaming in here. There is no safe space. Yeah, Florida's nice for the moment, but we're going to have to absorb these illegals unless we elect Donald Trump. And by the way, hermetically sealing the border is not enough. We have to excavate the illegals that are here. What are there, 40 million? They have to go. Fetus, child, uh, look what's happening. It's the children that are the problem. We need to get rid of every single illegal. So when folks buy Super Moms Activated <laughs> by you, Jacqueline Toborough, what are they going to read about? They are going to get the blueprint to get politically activated. They are going to see what is coming round the pike. The 12 Super Moms that are in the book forecasted every single thing that's happening. This book is more pertinent now than it was when it came out in June. Uh, you have to see what's coming. You have to prepare your family, and we give you the tips inside. So on the way out, great conversation, great seeing you. If they predicted everything that's coming, yeah. did they predict even worse down the pike? Where are we in, the, in those predictions? Yes, it is worse. We're going to lose a generation or two. It is, it oh is worse. God. It is. It's <laughs> bad. You've got to protect your family and your kids, and we give you the tools inside the book. All right. Go buy it today, folks. Super Moms <laughs> Activated. She's the great Jacqueline Tolberoff. Great seeing you. You're my first guest back here in the United wow. States. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. Congratulations. Nice Thank to see you. you. Jack and Toborow, folks, once again, the book is Super Moms Activated. That wraps up hour number one. Sets us up for the man, Curtis Sliwa, who's beloved in Israel, too, mind you. We'll talk to Curtis Sliwa and Rich Lowry coming up next hour in the 7 a.m. hour before Alex Trayman, Steve Bannon, Congressman Anthony D'Esposito, and more stop on by hour number two on this Monday back sitting friends in the morning. I'm coming right at you.
and friends in the morning. 77 WABC. This morning, folks that are happy we're back and love the shows last week and were fascinated by the conversation in hour number one. Instagram at Rosenberg.Sydney, Facebook Sid Rosenberg on my WhatsApp. But I got a special message from somebody just moments ago by the name of Adina. Adina. Yeah, you got yeah. that right. And Adina happens to be uh-huh. the lady. Uh-huh. That uh, gave birth to Justin. Yes. Yeah, your mother. Yeah, you made that as bad as uh, complicated as you needed to make it. But yeah, she's my mom. Yes. And Adina has messaged me before, which is um, okay. a whole other story. Well, that's it. You know, but she had a purpose this morning. She's a lovely lady, by the way. Yes. Lovely lady. Mm-hmm. And the message this morning was: Glad you guys are back safely. Please give my son Justin. A big hug and a kiss today because today happens to be Justin's birthday. Yes. Which we talked about quite a bit in Israel. You kept telling us Monday's my birthday, Monday's my birthday. <laughs> I did not. Like a hundred times. No, no, no. no. You're like, like a little girl, man. <laughs> You're like a chick. No. So, But I forget if you're 28 or 29 today. 28. 28 years old. So yep. I want to wish you a very happy birthday. First of all, you were amazing in Israel. Thank you. You know, you, you worked hard, mm-hmm. didn't have to worry, were you going to be in the lobby, were you going to be at the offices at JNS, were you going to hook the thing up, were you going to book the guests, never had to worry. And you've been there before, so you were helpful, too, on some of the tours. You're smart, mm-hmm. and you were great to Danielle and the kids. My kids love you. So uh, I'm very, very proud of you, but I do want to wish you a very, very happy and a healthy birthday. And uh, 28 years old, man, you are very, very young mm-hmm. to be where you are in your career. And well, very smart. You, you, have a, you have a huge, huge career ahead of you, Justin. You really do. So. Thank you, Sydney. That, You're welcome. Uh, that, uh, that means a lot. And I really appreciate it. I appreciate You know, I sent you a text yesterday. It was thank a lovely text, yes. You know, thank you for As you ran out of the airport, yeah, we had to stand the line at customs for an hour. Well, next I'm like, time, I'm the famous guy. What the hell is going on next here? Next time, fill out the MPC form, and you won't have to do I that. I didn't know about that MPC yeah, form. But anyway, uh, everybody me. around the room, go around and wish Justin a happy birthday. I mean, my God. No, I'm ahead. Happy birthday, Justin. Oh, thank you, No, well, That was pretty hard, yeah, God. so much. I mean, less God, enthusiasm. Well, as only Noam Laden could do it, he's here to report the news. <laughs> Lou, go ahead. Go ahead, I Lou. would have to wish uh, Justin a very happy birthday, and congratulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that thing that you wanted for later is booked. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Thank you, fellas. Appreciate All right, it. so wherever I went in Israel, people did know this guy. Some lady actually dropped off a gift for me and Curtis. It was the same gift. It's a beautiful gift. And as I said, when I landed yesterday getting my luggage, some guy named Matt, he's a cop.
cop walked over to me to uh, thank me, called me a hero, and said he specifically loves it when Curtis is on every morning. He's the legend, the icon, Mr. Guardian Angel, about to celebrate 45 years, by the way. Does a great job on the Rip and Read, noon every weekday afternoon, hosting overnight weekends, and, of course, does his best work right here with me every weekday morning. He's the great Curtis Sliwa. And, uh, Curtis, you were amazing all week last week, and even leading up to the trip in Israel, because there's almost nothing about Israel, like Brooklyn, that you don't know. Well, it's easy, because it's the size of New Jersey. And that's why I want to compliment you, Sid, because you didn't just go yourself, you took your whole family. Your beautiful wife, your beautiful two children, to see for themselves. And I think what this, uh, this trip should trigger off in everybody's minds who's listening, especially the Gentiles. You must go to Israel. It's at the epicenter of our Western civilization. Now, two-thirds of the world, it's Eastern civilization, Red Chinese, India. They know nothing about Israel. But to the other third, everything, all roads lead to Israel. And you have to go there. It's like going to the Jersey Shore in the summer. You go from Point Pleasant to Wildwood. It's <laughs> not that difficult to take in a lot of the country in a trip. You need to do it, and you need to take your children and grandchildren before they get converted by these Hamas crazies who go running through the streets, urging from the river to the sea uh, to destroy all. the Jews, because that's what it means. Kill them. You know, I um, I was struck on the airplane. I don't watch movies. I watch the flight, you know, and it's a map. So there's a little dot, Curtis, says Israel. And all around Israel, all around them, are the countries that want to eliminate Israel. There's like eight of them. You know, but by the time you get to Europe, who don't love Israelis either, by the way, but at least Germany, France, England, they're not going to destroy Israel. But that little area in the Middle East and to the right of that, every country there basically wants to destroy Israel. Here's this little dot that exists today, this beautiful democracy with these with this resilient, beautiful people. And knowing there's a, a war going on in the south, a potential huge war in the north, today in Samaria, also a war, Janine, they're fighting every day. I left there scared to death. How does this country continue to exist? Because they're tough. And I like Jews here in this country. Oh, I got to go outside. It's raining. I might get pneumonia. Oh, please, please. I'll take my yarmulke off. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, I don't want to stand up to all these, all these tough guys and tough gals who talk trash to me. No, no, no. Every Jew in Israel is tough. Even if, hey, look, they have their disagreements. They have like 32 different political parties. I've been in meetings when I was in Israel. My God, they go at one another politically, but you attack them, they all come together. Because they realize their enemies have tried to destroy them since the birth of the country in 48. Then the attack by Egypt, Syria, uh, and Iraq trained professional soldiers attacking the Israelis. And they've fended them off time and time again, and they'll fend them off because they know that if the Arabs win, and yes, they are Arabs, if they win, they will annihilate the state of Israel. That'll be it. They will drive them into the sea. There's no doubt about it. And that's why they have to be tough. And that's why when you look at Jews here, you should be embarrassed how weak, how Bro, soft, how feckless so many of I'm them are. I'm embarrassed by a lot of people in New York, quite frankly. The ones, not just Jews, but people that allow this to go on these pro-Palestinian rallies because, quote-unquote, there's nothing they can do, it's legal. That's all true. 
But these people are standing up for folks that committed some of the most heinous crimes. Listen to me carefully. In the history of the world, in the history of the world, as ugly as 9-11 was, right, they flew planes into buildings. They didn't take their time to torture, dismember, and rape every victim. This was about as ugly as any day in the history of the world. And for folks in this city... To worry about pissing off, I don't want to piss them off. You know, they, they got their rallies. You should hate these people. You should hate these people with absolute vigor. Shit, shit. And it, but maybe you need to go to Israel Jews, like I did just to get it. The Jews outnumber these crazies in New York City. Unfortunately, some of your people were with the crazies. I've I know. said it over I and know. over again. I know. The strongest supporters for the state of Israel are not Jews. They're evangelical Christians. There are so many Jews who hate Israel. They're self-hating Jews. They should impale themselves with a menorah. They walk around with a yarmulke on, and they talk about, right, oh, I'm a, I'm a Jew for Palestinians. I'm a Jew for Hamas. They should impale themselves with a menorah. Should you be see, worse. you can't excommunicate people. Your religion doesn't do that. The Catholics do. You should excommunicate him. So why not become a Muslim, bow five times to Mecca and Medina, and then if you actually advocate anything that's part of your Jewish tradition, it's off with your head. I like what you're saying, buddy. I wish you were coming on Saturday. Saturday, the Fifth Avenue Synagogue, the largest synagogue in New York City, is putting on this unbelievable gala. Oh, they don't want me. No, they wanted you. Oh, they supported Eric Adams. No, they so want many you. of them no, no. called they... me an anti-Semite <laughs> when I was running against Eric Adams, who said, oh, when I retire, I want to retire to well, the Golan Heights. Well, this is the deal, and we'll get to Adams momentarily. By you coming on this show every day, people actually like you now. Like, no one ever liked you. They were impressed by you. You're a great radio guy. You're a tremendous listen. But no one liked you. They tolerated me. Now they like you. The guy that is running this event has asked me ten times, can Curtis come Saturday? We're going to have Israeli performers and magicians and singers. We're going to have great speakers. They locked me out during the campaign against (laughs) Eric Adams. Well... They draped him in an Israeli flag. They said, oh, the lover of Farrakhan and the nation of Islam. Curtis is an anti-Semite. They want me there? Well, how about if I just come and have a cup of coffee down well, to you? Well, you can't. You're on the air. What time is it? Eight o'clock. Oh, I could be there to come and honor you. Well, good. Well, guess what? You're going to be there, and he's not, because I didn't invite him. Uh, they're going to have Dove Hyken speak. Lizzie Sovetsky's oh, going to speak. Know I'm, I'm, that's my brother in solidarity in the battles. I would love for you to go and speak Thank as you. well. I, I will have a cup of coffee. I will be there to honor you, and I will look at some of those who were there. You say, where were you during the election? Were you calling me an anti-Semite? Come on. They probably were. Admit it. They probably were. But yet, it was not you who hired this guy, Banks, who was okay, who was okay with 80 New York City educators attending a divisive anti-Israel seminar to learn more tips for teaching kids about how the Jews, not Hamas, how the Jews are committing genocide in Gaza. How can that happen, Curtis? Let's name and shame. The UFT, Union of Failed Teachers, uh, they're predominantly Jewish. Why are they letting this take place? Randy Weingarten is definitely Jewish. Right. Why is Michael Mogru, who has control of the city system, they control it, UFT, whatever they want, they get. Why aren't they saying, no, this will never happen again. We'll have a massive walkout. You saw what happened at Hillcrest High School. You saw they they chased a a Jewish teacher into a room. They threatened to kill her. 
What, what, what discipline was done to those kids who were flying Palestinian flags? And, you know, it goes back to the fact that if you're a Jew in New York City and you don't stand up for your people, nobody else will. Because they'll perceive, oh, you're not even standing up for your own people. You agree. You agree with this nonsense that they should be teaching our kids on our dime that Israel doesn't exist. That when you look at the map, it's Palestine. What is that crate? You're, re- you're allowing them to read. Well, they basically don't even teach history anymore. They don't teach social studies. They don't teach geography. But they teach the kids. There is no such place as Israel. It's Palestine. And we do it on our time. And the UFT does that. Have you heard Michael Mogul? And the UFT, which is predominantly Jewish, especially all the retirees. That's right. You're listening in Bayside, all you retirees. You love getting your pension. You love wearing, oh, you, oh my God. You know, I'm a Jew. You love wearing the Star of David. And then the school system that many of you work in, that you still work in, are training children to hate Israel, to believe that the Palestinians are right and always been right and you say nothing and you do nothing and you have the most powerful union in the city you can walk out you can walk out until this changes show some jewish pride well said that's why curtis Sliwa is the legend and uh, maybe the best ever at this point i really do believe that i want to get to uh, 50 cent i'm a big 50 cent guy you know and he came out, just like Michael Rappaport did last week. But Rappaport has been talking about Trump now for the better part of three months that he was in Israel. Rappaport, he saw this, and he knows that Joe Biden is playing for both teams. So now all of a sudden, Rappaport, he still calls him dickface. That's great. Oh, oh, oh. You mean Michael Rappaport who said that I shouldn't be able to call him a Jew? Hey, yes. Rappaport, you're <laughs> a Jew, and don't you ever forget. He is a Jew, and now he's leaning towards Trump. But 50 Cent comes out. He's 50 so, Cent. 50. 50. He's so disgusted that Eric Adams is offering credit cards. Snap cards. Yes, that he says, you know what? Maybe it is time for Trump. 50 Cent is done with your guy, Eric Adams. Let's go through 50 Cent, who has told crowds, yo, man, you think Curtis Lee was a bad guy? I got shot nine times. He only got shot five times. And I have said he culturally appropriated my name because I was born first, Curtis Jackson. I was Curtis before he was Curtis. But he couldn't be more hopelessly right on this. Can you imagine, in the midst of these illegal aliens... Beating up cops, robbing, stealing, pickpocketing, shoplifting, everything that I said they would do, Sid, when at first I was called a racist, a xenophobe, oh, you're not open-minded, and now 50 Cent, what blows his mind is that Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, a mayor of the illegal alien, says, I want to give them more. I want to give them snap cards with $1,000 a month on it of our tax dollars so that they can go in stores. Nobody's going to look at the snap card. They never do. So if it's a man, woman, or transgender, I'm just going to buy up everything at taxpayers' expense. Oh, I signed a waiver that I'll only use it for milk and diapers nonsense. You know they're going to get cigarettes, liquor, booze, like everybody else who abuses the snap, the food stamp system. Eric Adams, you are a and he will not, in honor of your beloved colleague Bernard McGurk, who used to come in every day and say, Eric Adams will never name and shame Alvin Bragg. Will never name and shame Alvin Bragg. You haven't heard from him. You know why? Because Alvin Bragg has him by the short hairs. 
He's got him by the short hairs because Eric Adams knows he's under investigation. So he does not want to name and shame Alvin Bragg. Well, I think you're right. I think he's like that with Bragg and even Biden. You know, he, he goes uh, far but not far enough for Joe Biden because he's worried all these guys are out to get him. I mean, even Governor Hochul who's a disgrace, the worst governor ever. She makes a long for Andrew Cuomo. Even she came after Alvin Bragg. Everybody's coming after Alvin Bragg except for the guy you just mentioned. By the way, you mentioned Andrew Evilize Cuomo, yes, who uh, started all this. Yeah. I'm saying it right now. If he's ever invited again back to WABC, sure. and he has not asked that question when he said that ICE was thugs uh, twice and said, I want to sue him, I'll walk out of here. I won't come back. He must be asked that question. Look at Swazi, who is basically his surrogate. He goes out there in Nassau County. He was proud. He kicked ice out of Nassau County when he's a Nassau County executive. Yesterday he said, all those thugs who beat up the cops, they should be deported immediately. You can't deport him, schmuck putts. You won't work with ICE. <laughs> Who's going to deport him? A, they have to be arrested, B, charged. Then they go to court locally. If they get time, they have to do their time here. And then the state or the city has to contact ICE to deport them, which the elected officials won't do. Swazi wouldn't. Cuomo won't. Adams won't. Holker won't. So they're all full of bull. You're right. I uh, can't argue any of that. So talking about Swazi, now that you brought it up, today is uh, February 5th. That means we're eight days away, just eight days away from the special election. Now, I was behind Mozzie Pillip from the beginning. Yes, you were. And then you got me off the train because you said, Sid, she's a registered Democrat. So I bring on Pete King. I'm hammering King for weeks about her being a Democrat. Then I hear these unbelievable commercials from Mozzie Pillip, and it's your voice. Yes. So clearly you've come around to totally, Mozzie completely. I'm totally in for Mozzie. We got to trash Swazi because behind him is his is his controller, who's Andrew Evilized Cuomo. Behind Mozzie is Congressman Peter King. This is really a battle between Peter King and Andrew Evilized Cuomo. Can you imagine Swazi yesterday says, they should be deported, those thugs. You idiot. You kicked ice out of Nassau County. Your your hero, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, kicked ice out of New York State. How are you going to deport him without ice? Hey, Hoko. You can't deport people if you kick ICE out. Eric Adams, you can't deport people if you kick ICE out. I want you to collectively bow down and apologize to ICE because you hated ICE so much that whenever you were getting free drinks at all these fundraisers, you said, I don't want any ICE cubes. I hate ICE. I hate Mimikuda. I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate ICE. Yeah, well, you're all haters. You know, you're in the Haters Club, the Dave Chappelle Haters Club, and now it's time. No more of this revisionism. If Andrew Evilized Cuomo ever comes back on WABC, he better apologize to the brave men and women of ICE who every day put on bulletproof vests. If not, 
I'm walking the hell out of this door. I will not allow this disgrace to take any more. And Hoku and Eric Adams and Swazi, they hate ICE, they hate America, and they love illegal aliens. And right now, some of these illegal aliens are our enemies. Whose side are you on? This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. We cannot allow scenes like I saw in New York two days ago where policemen are being beat up by gangs of illegal immigrants, in that case from Venezuela, Honduras. We can't allow that. And these are kids that are fighters. They were not, you know, babies. They were knocking the hell out of of our policemen. We can't let this happen. There's my guy, Donald Trump. We're going to talk to his guy, Steve Bannon, coming up in about an hour. Donald Trump even weighing in on the beatings that our cops took in Times Square from these illegals. Said we can't have it. He did that on Maria Bartiromo's show yesterday, Sunday's, I guess, uh, on Fox, uh, Fox Business. He wanted to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. You know, Maria asked him about his possible VP choice. And again, Donald Trump will join me sometime over the next couple of weeks. I spoke to Margot Martin again yesterday. It'll probably be right after South Carolina. Trump will come on after he wins that state. He'll have three, maybe four in the books between, obviously, the uh, the Iowa caucus, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. Then the president is going to stop by. Hopefully, at that point, Nikki Haley's gone. But he was on with Bartiromo on Fox Business yesterday talking about the possibility of Tim Scott being his vice president. Here was the back and forth between Maria and Trump. Lewis, this is cut number 13. You know, I called Tim Scott this week because a lot of people like Tim Scott. I called him and I said, you're a much better candidate that for me than you are for yourself. When I watched him, he was fine. He was good, but he was very low-key, et cetera, et cetera. I watched him in the last week defending me and sticking up for me and fighting for me. I said, man, I said, you're a much better person for me than you are for yourself because for himself he was low-key for me he's been he's been a real tiger he's been incredible and others have too then he goes on to talk about the indictments you know cnn just ran a report that uh, there's a poll out there where people say if they uh, convict trump they're not going to vote for him that his numbers will go down if in fact he gets convicted Trump don't agree. Trump says, they indict me, it's an honor. Lewis, Donald Trump, cut number 14. It's all about courage. You have to have courage for the country. I would have, if I didn't run or if I was in fifth place, 
I wouldn't have any indictments. I wouldn't have any problem. They went after me from before I even announced because they said we have to do it all. These aren't indictments. These are Biden indictments. How are you going to get through Washington, D.C.? I just get through things, whatever it is. I'm doing this for the country. I didn't need this. I could have had the greatest life. Look at this. I could have had a nice time instead of doing a nice, fair, but tough interview with you. I could have had a very nice time in my life. I could have enjoyed it. But I enjoyed it anyway because we're going to make America great again. This country is failing. This nation is failing. And it's incompetent people like Biden. Who wants open borders? Who wants high interest rates? Who wants bad education? Who wants all of this stuff? Who wants a woke military? Our country's going to hell. And it's an honor for me. I, I really say, anytime I get indicted, it's an honor because I'm doing it for you. And the people agree with it. So every interview I did in Israel, the Israel National News, JNS, their CEO, Alex Trayman, will join me live from Jerusalem in about 30 minutes. I talked about Biden and Iran being the issue with Israel, obviously. Right? I, mean, that's, I didn't break any news with that one, how Biden cannot be pro-Israel if, in fact, he's been helping out Iran, which he's done over the years, and not just one but two administrations, loosening restrictions and sanctions and giving them money and bad hostage deals, all that. Trump goes on to talk about the real possibility, if not probability, that the world's biggest hate country, Iran, will have a nuclear weapon in less than two months. Donald Trump, Lewis, cut number 15. Iran had no money to give to Hamas or Hezbollah. They had no money. And they were all going out of business. All these terror outfits were going out of business. I said, anybody that does business buys oil, because that's the big deal. Essentially business, but oil in particular. Anybody that buys from Iran will will do no business with the United States. Everybody stopped. They were selling almost nothing. They were almost out of business. They would have had a deal with me within two weeks after the election. Now, the deal is a very simple deal. No nuclear weapon. They're going to have a nuclear weapon in the next 60 days. And once they have a nuclear weapon, it's a whole different story. It's a whole different negotiation, whole different deal. And Biden allowed them to do this. He's allowed them. And now they're a very wealthy country. Uh, they are a country with over $200 billion and they control Iraq. Another stupid thing that we did going into Iraq was a stupid thing. Remember, I used to say, don't do it. But if you do it, keep the oil. And then finally. This is the scary one. As we wrap up this segment, we'll get to my dear friend, Rich Lowry, coming up next. Maria Bartiromo and Trump talking about the real possibility, or again, probability, like Iran getting a nuclear weapon of a terrorist attack right here in the United States. And Trump left no room for no. 16. I believe we're going to have a terrorist attack 100%. 100%. You know, during my term, I had no terrorist attacks. You know that, right? So there'll be saboteurs? What are they? I had all sorts of bans on people from certain countries. I had bans all over the place. We had no attack. I had nothing. No attack, nothing. Trump, 100%. There will be a terrorist attack right here. And again, after spending last week in Israel and seeing the hate in and around that country and seeing what's happening here in this city in big numbers, hard to argue it. I wish I could. All right, we're going to get to uh, Rich Lowry coming up momentarily. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC.
You know, lost in all this seriousness. We got a big football game coming up on Sunday. This was my life for so many years. I was on the plane back from Israel yesterday. I made mention to Danielle, I said, you know, coming back from Israel, I, you know, for, for 15 years or more, I'd be getting ready this week to go to the site of the Super Bowl. That's what I did every year. Covered a lot of them. Places like San Diego and Miami, New Orleans, Tampa, Jacksonville. I was everywhere. Even covered Pro Bowls in Honolulu. It was great. And we are getting set for Super Bowl 58 coming up this Sunday between the Chiefs and the 49ers, and I won't be there. That's fine. The last time I covered a Super Bowl, I took Bernard, and um, he loved it. He was cute. He was a fish out of water. I mean, <laughs> talking about uh, old Cowboy Steeler games at Roger Storbeck. But he, he was cute. He loved it. And we covered the Patriots and the Rams, the one where uh, Tom Brady beat Matthew Stafford, who's now the quarterback of the Lions, of course. No, the other way around. He beat uh, Goff, who's now the quarterback for the Lions. It was a great time. It was in Atlanta. But I haven't covered a Super Bowl like that in years. But I am excited about Sunday's game. Patrick Mahomes versus Brock Purdy. Chiefs and 49ers. So we put this time aside every Monday morning for a guy who's great. He's the editor of National Review, which is a tremendous publication. His stuff is often syndicated right here in the New York Post. You see him on NBC. He writes for Politico. He does it all. He's my great buddy, Rich Lowry. Rich, good Monday morning, friend. How are you? Hey, welcome back. How is Israel? Israel is an amazing place. I recommend that everybody goes. Jewish, Christian, it doesn't matter. Just go. And when you go you will come to the very, very quick realization that every one of these scumbags who calls themselves a pro-Palestinian that are blocking our tunnels and bridges and walking the streets are sick lowlifes that know nothing about, they know nothing about the history of Israel. They know nothing about October the 7th. Anybody, I mean anybody, who goes out of their way to um, maybe not agree, but at the very least um, don't make notice of these people. You're doing Israel and the world a disservice. Because what they did, these animals, on October the 7th, and have been doing for the better part of thousands of years, is grotesque. And to think mm-hmm. there are people walking our streets who are okay with it, and other people who go, hey, I don't, I don't want to mess with them. They may hurt my bottom line. That's also grotesque. That's how I feel. Yeah. No, I've only been once, but I was there for a week. So I got, got to spend a pretty good time, and what a wonderful place. I mean, if you're a Christian or a Jew, such a meaningful place, such a moving place. And uh, wonderful people and good food. So. Yes, the food. Yeah, the food is good. But it was interesting yeah. because you know I was on uh, Steve Bannon's show, The War Room, last Thursday. Steve is on like you every Monday. He's on an hour later, and he said to me, "What, what is the feeling there about Biden? Because Biden, you know, it's like mm-hmm. pulling teeth to get him to help the Israelis out." And I said, look, he's not fooling anybody. He may think he is, and Israel has no choice but to say nice things because they need America's help. They need the money. They need the support. But people know that he's been backing Iran in two different administrations. They know it. The Israelis know it. So if Joe Biden thinks he's fooling people in Israel, he's not. People know the truth, and the truth is when you really break it down, this administration, they're not friends of Israelis. They're not. Yeah, no doubt. And the other thing that, that I was struck by, uh, Israel really is, this is one reason so many people hate it, especially here in this country, is part of the West. You know, you go to 
cutter or something and, and, you know, go to a nice airport. And they still have those toilets, the, the kind of Arab toilets, that are just a hole in the, in the floor. It's disgusting, right? It, who, 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 you know, what are they talking about? And then you immediately go to, to Israel and like, oh, okay, this, this is a place I'm familiar with. Whereas in the Arab world, there's still that kind of alien element. It's true. Alien feeling. No, you're right. This is uh, Israel is the West, no doubt about it. The way they dress, the way they act, and uh, they're an extension of us. And that's why more of us should love them more than we do. I want to get to this uh, Senate bill, this 118 million billion, I should say, 118 billion dollar Senate bill. The GOP, uh, they've exposed it as basically an amnesty bill. That's it. You know, uh, this bill, of course, would go to border security, Ukraine, Israel. So the Senate is talking about a bipartisan bill, but Mike Johnson's already said, Haha, not a chance, not this thing. What are your thoughts on this bill and um, and why they thought the Senate they can pull the wool over the Republicans' eyes? I still haven't firmly planted my feet on this thing. I, I got to look at it more. I've seen the various tweets back and forth about various provisions, but I mean, there there are a bunch of things that kind of make, make you go, huh? Uh, including that you can't shut down the border until uh, it's four thousand or five thousand crossings a day, which Jay Johnson, Obama's national uh, homeland security director, you know, years ago said a thousand overwhelms us. So, so why why would you not have this authority immediately? And I think this should be the counter from Mike Johnson because I do think it's going to be a lot of pressure. It is kind of an intuitive argument Democrats are making, like, you know, oh, you guys wanted to, to shut down the border or um, have a better, more secure border, and here's a bill to do it, and, and you got nothing. So I think you should just say, look, you want this Title 42-style authority to shut down the border? Here it is. No trigger. You can do it immediately. You know, there's no numbers involved, and you can do it as long as you want, as, uh, as you should. Take it or leave it, and put the ball uh, back in Biden's court. Just doesn't seem like there's even any room for negotiation. They're, they're talking about it once again, calling it an amnesty bill. And Mike Johnson said it's one of the worst things he's ever seen. So I'm not sure that there's even room for negotiation here. Yeah, it's not going to pass the House, but I, it, it be, behoove them to have some some sort of alternative. And what, what they're saying now is their their bill HR two, which is a great bill. It's just. You know, that's never going to pass the Senate or get signed by Biden. But I think you could use the, the Biden statement a week ago, which was, you know, a, a, a lot of chutzpah even for this guy, saying that if he signs this bill, he'll immediately shut down the border to say, OK, we'll, we'll give you the authority to shut down the border at any time uh, you like. And, and the way you should. I mean, it's in the law already, basically implied. So here it is. And if, if you, you're the shut down the border guy, you, you'll want to sign this bill, right? And of course, he'll say, no, no, I don't. And then, and then you'll, uh, at least in the rhetorical argument, you'll be in a better place than I think Republicans are now. Talking about the border, one guy that did it right was Donald Trump. I know you heard some of the audio I played last segment. He was on with Maria Bartiromo yesterday. He talked about a whole bunch of stuff, including the border, the real chance of Iran getting a nuclear weapon, and the possibility of a terrorist attack. I want to talk about all that with you. This is my man from the National Review, Rich Lowry, here as he is every Monday morning. More with Rich on the dangers coming to the United States. More with Rich right after this. Again, brothers, sisters, everybody saying, Gonna bring the flame, I'll show you how. 
got a question for you, better answer now. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Here with Rich Lowry, the editor of the National Review. You know, Rich, uh, you look at Iran, and Trump talked about it yesterday with Bartiromo, how he thinks they're less than two months away from having a nuclear weapon and all the issues they are causing around the world, including funding this Israel-Hamas war. Now, you know, we're fighting with the Houthis all the time. They don't care. They're so happy to disrupt everything between oil and money. They they know they become a real pain in the ass for the United States. That's all they want. My question is simple. How did Biden and, and these people not know that eventually going to bed with the, with this dog, mm-hmm. you were not going to wake up with fleas? How did they not know yeah. that or they just didn't care because a lot of folks were making a lot of money? Yeah, well, it's just part of this reversal of everything that Trump did, right? So the border, they rip up the security system there. They delist the Houthis as a terrorist group. They start funding UNRWA again, a horrible U.N. agency, and they reverse, uh, you know, Trump had his foot on the neck of Iran financially, and they, they take it off. And all this has come a cropper. All of it. it. It's a complete disaster. You know, at the border, even Biden now says he wants to shut down the border. It's nonsense, but that's what he says. He wants kind of a Trump policy at the border. Why didn't he, why did he reverse all the Trump policies? He's relisted the Houthis. He's cut off UNRWA, and he'll never admit that his Iran policy was a catastrophe, but it clearly was, because this stuff is, is funding all these militias around the Middle East that are attacking and killing uh, our guys. So it's this is why that NBC poll yesterday, it's an utter train wreck for Joe Biden. It's not just that he's losing to Trump by five points, the worst showing he's ever had in an NBC poll. It's every issue. He's getting crushed by Trump, yeah. whether it's the economy or the border. And the exceptions are, what, health care, abortion, and climate, you know, mm. th- things that Republicans never do very well on. Everything else, you know, he's losing by 20 points on the economy and 30 points on the border, and people don't think he's – 23% of people think he, he has the uh, acuity and the stamina to serve again versus, versus Trump. So this is uh, – it's, it's a debacle, and it's a debacle of his making. It's not as a circumstance that have un, undone the guy. He did it himself. You know what's interesting about what you just said? Uh, Bill O'Reilly, our friend Bill, I know you love Bill. He said the same thing on Thursday, and he said, but yet, like you just said, Rich, Trump has a lead. That's great. You know, if, if the election was today, Trump would win, but its lead is five. When you go back and listen to all the things you just reeled off, which has made us unsafe, our money 
is disappearing. It's a real disaster. And yet the lead is only five. He should be up 20 points. He should be ahead of Biden like he was on DeSantis. But, but Trump is still too rough around the edges and Trump derangement syndrome 100% exists. He said if Trump just cleaned it up just a little, maybe that five would be 10. And I go back to the same argument. Well, maybe he's got the five because he is Trump being Trump. Kind of go back and forth with people. They want him to clean it up. It's kind of like me. You know, you clean it up and you lose some of the authenticity. <laughs> I'm being serious. That's the authenticity that people like, right? I mean, that's why, that's true. right? That's why they listen to me. That's why they vote for Trump. So what's the answer? <laughs> yeah. As, as a media, as a conservative media figure, Trump, Trump would be, you know, he's unstoppable, right? But he, he has to appeal to the, the middle of the electorate, not just his core audience. And there, you know, he's never going to change. I mean, his persona is his persona, and, you know, he's, he's personally unpopular, and he's never going to be popular. So that's why he's going to have to um, – this case on substance is going to have to be very strong. And it is. It is at the moment. But, you know, the, the worries politically would be the job market continues to, to get better, and the numbers there have been boffo, which is – you know, good for the country, but also good for Biden politically. And then, then this conviction that they're banking on. And I think actually, you know, I love Trump's answer to uh, Maria. That's what he said to me when I had lunch with him in the summer. You know, I, I just don't worry about stuff. I just get through it. So he assumes yeah. he can get past these legal cases. And lo and behold, the January 6th one looks like it really might not happen. It just, are they really going to start that thing in July or August and run it right through the fall and have them in the dock? It's crazy, even for them. Maybe they'll try to do it, but it's going to get a lot harder. So that, that puts the Alvin Bragg one first. And that's a ridiculous case. So it may be that when the polling says, oh, we can't stand the idea of a conviction of Trump and we're all going to leave him, it may be they're not counting on the conviction being, you know, a jury that hates him in a case that's totally absurd about a ridiculous thing, you know, payment to a porn star. So it may be that he's kind of dancing through the raindrops there. And the, the thing that they've counted on being the ther- thermonuclear blast against him isn't a thermonuclear blast or doesn't even happen well done which lowry folks that's why he's on every monday the editor of the national review and you see him of course in the new york post political nbc does it all just a great guy and a great guest rich is always terrific job we'll do it again next week buddy thanks love you i love you too man thank you rich lowry with a love you at the end of that you gotta love that my man rich big eight o'clock hour hour number three about to come your way we go back live to Jerusalem, where Justin and I did our show for four days last week. JNS Studios, JNS.org, with the CEO, Alex Trayman. And then my man, Steve Bannon, with some more Trump talk coming up at 840. Hour number three, sitting friends in the morning, back in New York City, about to come your way.
been in a cave for 40 days Only a spark to light my way I want to give out, I want to give in This is our crime, this is our sin But I still believe, I still believe Through the pain and through the grief Through the lies, through the storms Through the cries and through the wars so I see this like really, really big muscular guy boiled down playing a saxophone in front of a fire when I hear this song, because that was a scene in the movie many, many, many years ago called Lost Boys, Jason Patrick, Keeper Sutherland, Corey Feldman, Corey Haim. Who was the girl? The same girl from uh, Lessons Zero, I think, right? Jamie Gertz. Jamie Gertz, yeah. I just watched that movie last night. Lost Boys? It was great. Zero. Oh, less than zero. Boy, yeah. is that, uh, wow, is that a downer? That movie's a downer, yeah. Oh, yeah. Julian, Julian. But um, we said this before, Robert Downey Jr., what an actor. And in the end, it was basically Howard Stern, Private Parts. He played himself. That's a great song. So right now in Israel, it's uh, 3.16 in the afternoon. I don't know about you, Justin, birthday boy Justin, folks. Today, Justin Ellick's 28th birthday, but... I feel pretty damn good considering that last week we operated every day like this, seven hours ahead. Yeah. No, I feel like I woke up this morning and I felt like I slept till noon. Yeah, me too. It's weird. Yeah. So it's like 316 there, and we would have uh, done two hours, and I would have gone downstairs to that really good burger place. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I got to eat before the show. (laughs) I got to eat before the show. Well, I ate there every day. I had a burger sandwich, a chicken sandwich, until Dove went out and bought falafel on Thursday for everybody. That was unbelievable. It's a beautiful studio, JNS Studios uh, there in Jerusalem. And, of course, the CEO, Alex Trayman, has now become one of my best friends. And him and his uh, lovely wife, what a beautiful lady, Tippy, had us over for Shabbat dinner. Last Friday night, uh, the night before we left, he's got uh, beautiful kids, five of them, and um, with three boys and uh, two girls. And it was just a great dinner. It was just a terrific night. And here he is, the man that uh, gave us his studios for the week and has been coming on this show since October the 7th, doing a terrific job. My dear friend, Alex Trayman. Alex, good morning, buddy. How are you? Sid, good morning. How are you? It's a little bit quiet over here, I must say. Yeah, I know. We, uh, I know a, a bunch of folks in there. Like I said, uh, Ryan and Dove and Avia were all talking about the energy that uh, me and Justin brought to the studio. So, so admit, you do miss that just a little, yes? Oh, man, we had so much fun while you were here. It was a great time, and, and the fun uh, continued. I just want to thank you, you and Sippy, so much for that beautiful dinner on Friday night and the, the prayers and then the tour reading that you did where you said such beautiful things about me actually had me crying. Uh, she's a, a, a wonderful cook, and your family, they're all good-looking and nice. And, you know, Mordecai, that, uh, I'm going to take that kid to a nickname one of these days. So thank you so much for Friday night. My family loved it. Yeah, thank you. You have a beautiful family as well, and I'm glad that they got to experience this trip with you. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did enjoy it, and, um, you know, they had their ups and downs. Like I said, Ava started to cry when that bomb went off. Uh, she was literally three-quarters of a mile from Gaza. It was scary. I'm not going to lie. I was there, too. But overall, it was just a magnificent trip, and we're actually looking forward to making plans to getting back again sometime maybe this summer as quick as possible. But one of the conversations you and I had in your apartment that night, Alex, was about Bibi Netanyahu, because 
look, I love him, and uh, I know that October 7th it was a bad job by Israeli intelligence, and obviously Hamas and these animals pulled off what they wanted to do and, and did it for many, many hours. But again, there's lots of people out there like me that still love him. And you said to me, Sid, slow down before before you think BB is definitely out. Slow down just a little bit. So explain to my audience why you think maybe BB is not definitely on his way out. Well, meanwhile, Netanyahu has a war to fight, uh, and we're in the middle of a uh, intensive campaign in, in Gaza. The, they're doing a great job, but there's still a lot of work to do before they finally get Hamas's remaining leaders uh, killed or captured. And there's still 136 hostages in there. And uh, you know, Netanyahu has said that very publicly that they will there will be a time for looking at and and um, calculating the failures that led up to October 7th. But you don't do that in the middle of a war. And now, meanwhile. Uh, as you've mentioned many times, uh, there is a, a looming war with Hezbollah to Israel's north, which is probably a much more difficult military campaign than what we're facing in Gaza. And, and this is a, a tinderbox, which is likely to, to explode any day into full-on conflict. Uh, and meanwhile, the United States, the Biden administration, you know, I, I must say, you know, we were we were hesitant uh, to to pass judgment on the Biden administration. You didn't you didn't wait so long, <laughs> and uh, it looks like you are you are correct because uh, now the the colors of the Biden administration are being shown. Um, you know they they've uh, put sanctions now on the residents in Judea and Samaria, um, and which just happened this week. But but more importantly than that, um, they've been pushing hard that the outcome of this conflict with Gaza must be a two-state solution. Uh, you know, and uh, Israel had this formula, it was called land for peace, and uh, now we recognize that the U.S. was lying the whole time, that they didn't care whether the Palestinians gave Israel peace or not. They just want to see uh, the country, the state of Israel, divided into two pieces uh, for the creation of a Palestinian state. And uh, Netanyahu is really... The only leader, I think, that uh, is qualified, you know, and has the the moxie to stand up to this intensive uh, United States pressure. Uh, And I think that as long as they keep pressuring uh, for something that really no Israeli wants, um, that uh, he's actually in in a good place. Uh, And and his opponents are not going to be so fast to try to push him out of office uh, if they know that the second that they push him out of office, that the pressure is going to be on their shoulders to create a Palestinian state, which is something that the Israeli public will never forgive them for if they do. But there is uh, there are some people that have said to me in the criticism of Netanyahu that he's still not conservative enough. Yes, he um, he has done a tremendous job, no doubt about it, and I think he'll do a terrific job now with this war, despite what happened October the 7th. But correct me if I'm wrong, there, there's a bunch of Israelis that don't think he's conservative enough. Is that right? That, that's right. He's probably the, the most liberal member of his right-wing government right now. And uh, the irony here is that while the international community tries to peg Netanyahu as being an extreme right-winger, and the reason why they do that is because he has found it more comfortable to sit with coalition partners from, from Israel's right. Uh, and they, they call him a, a hard right-winger, but Really, if you ask anybody on the right in Israel, they'll tell you he's very much a centrist. And, uh, they, they, you know, he, he always campaigns, uh, you know, on a hard right wing platform and then push comes to shove. He comes into office and he, he really does 
he really does try to thread the needle and balance all the pressures and ends up winding up in the middle. You know, Alex, uh, last week I made the comparison between B.B. and uh, Trump, and um, now uh, I know that uh, you appreciate Trump. You've been on record saying many times that he did for Israel. No one did before. No one will do again. And I think uh, the more that uh, I'm proven right about Biden, the more you're even going to like Trump even more. But you did say the difference is that uh, and it's hard to argue that Netanyahu probably more stately but the truth is that they're both, uh, you know, very pro-Israel, and they both get stuff done. And, of course, Trump lost to Biden last time, if you believe the election wasn't rigged, because there's just too many Democrats in this country. If you could, give me the makeup of Democrats versus Republicans, or left versus right, really, not Republicans, left versus right among the people in Israel. Yeah, I think it's important to say left versus right as opposed to Republican versus Democrat because those things just have different meanings here. Uh, but this last election, you know, Netanyahu formed a right-wing government with 64 members of a 120-seat parliament, okay? And uh, the left-wing in Israel, by contrast, only had 46 seats uh, with Arabs getting the remaining 10 seats. So, you know, it if you take the Arabs as a, as a block and you, and you just take them out of the equation because they're not right wing nor left wing, and they're, they're not Jewish and they're not pro-Israel and they're not Zionists or any of that. But if you look at the right wing versus left wing, you have an 18 seat gap uh, between the right wing and the left wing, which by all accounts is, was, a, was a landslide. You know, this is a country that is a majority right wing country. And you know, as we were talking about uh, last week, you know, you said that uh, – you know, a conservative in America is, is a liberal who's been mugged. Uh, and you know, back here in the 90s, there was a lot of people that were willing to go ahead with the land for peace formula, even though in their hearts they knew it was a bad idea because they just thought, well, what else can we do? And we really don't want to roll over Palestinians uh, here. But, you know, we've been mugged again and again and again and again. And, and there, there's just not that many people in this country that, that think that a, a two-state solution, uh, which is the primary measure between left and right in this country, that, that think that uh, a left uh, two-state solution is, is plausible at all right now. You know, you mentioned there's still 136 hostages. I heard some reporter read something in Israel before I left, and I was still there, maybe Saturday, that talked about 100 hostages. They just eliminated 36 and there's a, a growing consensus of people that think a lot of these hostages, including the babies, are dead. Are we sure that number is at 136? Well, Those 136 bodies that uh, were that intelligence understood were taken into Gaza and haven't yet been returned. Um, but they don't they're not saying how many of those 136 are, are alive. And it's assumed that probably as many of as a quarter or a third of them are, are not alive right now. You know, you talked about this uh, growing chance every day of uh, all-out war in the north with Hezbollah coming out of Lebanon, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I said it a, a bunch of times in Israel last week, too, and very anecdotally, hanging out with uh, Yehuda and Aaron and other kids who live there, you know, they talked about the real possibility that if that war does erupt in the north, they're going to feel it where you are in Jerusalem, you know, Maybe shutting off electricity and water, and it could really be a disaster for the for the whole country. You know, right now the the Gaza war has basically been kept to the south. You guys in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, you're okay, but people seem to think if war breaks out in the north, the whole country will be affected, and not in a good way. Do you agree with that? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be much more serious, and, and the rockets pose a much greater threat. The Qassam rockets that Hamas has are very rudimentary rockets. Obviously, they can go a uh, significant distance, you know, 40 kilometers, some up to 100 kilometers, but they're basically projectiles that you just shoot in a direction, and, and Hamas just hopes for the best wherever it hits. And uh, Israel's uh, Iron Dome system basically is able to determine if it's going towards a population center. If it's not, going towards a population center. The Iron Dome just lets it hit into a field. Uh, and if it's going towards uh, citizens, then the Iron Dome basically shoots them out of the sky with close to 95% proficiency. So, you know, even though there are sirens that go off and people are running to the shelters, uh, the number of rockets that have hit on the ground uh, in Israel, it, it's it's very few. I mean, I, I don't even know if it's if it's been one percent of the rockets that have been fired to to be to be certain. But uh, for Hezbollah, they have a much more sophisticated arsenal, and they also have uh, with long range and some precision guided rockets that can target specific uh, strategic targets uh, in Israel. But they also have so many more rockets and more and more sophisticated launchers that if they started firing in, in rapid fire sequence, that there's no amount of Iron Dome and David Sling and Arrow, which are the more sophisticated missile defense systems that Israel has, that can shoot these things down. There's a big fear that, the, that these systems can be overrun if they start firing. Uh, so wow. it, it's, it's a big threat. Wow. And did I hear the number correct, about 150,000 missiles? Pointed towards Israel, Alex, as you and I speak right now? Correct, at least. Wow. And um, if they want a strategic uh, target, if they want a civilian target, whether it's Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or Netanyahu or Haifa, they can hit it, right? No problem. Well, I mean, that's the world. Hopefully yeah. we're not, we're not going to find out, but they're going to try. Wow. Well, listen, uh, we got to keep having these conversations all the time. First of all, uh, one of my, my favorite stories uh, that happened in Israel was, and uh, John Katzmatidis, who you know, Alex, he owns this station. He's a great man here. John is very close with my cousin, Norm Coleman. I love that. And I'm very close with Norm, who was the mayor of St. Paul for eight years out of Minnesota, was a senator in Minnesota. So one day uh, last week, Josh Kasten did an interview with me for your site, JNS.org, and it was great. And I get a text message the following morning in Israel from Norm, and it's the story. And I go, how'd you get this, Norm? I didn't send it to him. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, every morning I wake up, whether I'm in Minnesota, Virginia, or Naples, and I read JNS. He says, I'm very good friends with the publisher, and it's it's wonderful. I read JNS every morning. So I came back to you and said, hey, you know my cousin. Of course, you know my cousin, Norm. So how about that? That's a great story, Alex, yes? Well, you know, he's one of a million people that are reading the site every month. And uh, I can tell you policymakers and influencers and, and regular readers are, are reading JNS uh, on a daily basis and are using it to actually inform their, their policymaking decisions. So, you know, it, it's an important new site and it's giving people uh, a point of view that they're not going to get from a lot of the 
progressive biased media, both in the Jewish world and, and all this anti-Israel uh, mainstream media that people are reading, like the New York Times and the BBC and CNN and everything else. So it's, it's a very, very important service. And uh, certainly the folks at Republican Jewish Coalition, like Norm Coleman and Matt Brooks and others, you know, they, they've understood the value of our service. JNS.org, folks, check it out today. If you really want to know what's going on, that is the site you go to. And I look forward to many more of these conversations, getting back, seeing you, Sippy, and the family. Uh, your dear friend at this point, Alex Trayman, thank you so much. Likewise, feelings mutual. Thanks so much, Sid. Take care. Alex Trayman, the CEO of JNS. Once again, that's where we did our show from last week, four days in their studios in Jerusalem. A lot more to do. Steve Bannon going to stop by this hour. I was a guest for the first time ever on Steve Bannon's War Room Live from Israel last week. That was great. And we'll talk to Congressman Anthony D'Esposito coming up in the 9 o'clock hour as to why this ridiculous Senate bill on this $118 billion border deal, like Howard Cosell once said about John Lennon, dead on arrival. We'll come back in a couple minutes with Steve Bannon right here on Sid and Friends in the morning. On your Monday morning, sit back in the Big Apple. I think LeBron James is coming here, right? I don't, you know, the Knicks played the Lakers a couple days ago. Lakers won. But my son Gabriel, as Justin could attest to now, he spent the week with them. He loves basketball. The NBA loves the Knicks. So the day that the Lakers were playing the Knicks, LeBron tweeted or X, whatever the hell you call it, a picture of an apple talked about coming to the Big Apple. He's never done that during his career. Never. Not in Cleveland, not in Miami, not Cleveland, not L.A., never. And that got all these uh, Nick fans thinking with the trade deadline coming up this Thursday and LeBron very public about being unhappy with the Lakers. The Knicks need one more piece to win a championship. Maybe LeBron ends his career here and not in Cleveland with his son Bronny, who, of course, 
had a heart attack and is struggling at USC, so. Right. If you want to trade away all the other pieces that you have that you need. Well, they're not going to trade them, I guess. To compliment Well, they wouldn't LeBron. trade. They wouldn't trade a lot for him. Um, oh, oh, okay. You're talking about maybe that. Grimes. Huh. Um, right. couple of number ones, though. Couple of number ones. Right. I mean, you can't trade Randall now anyway because he's hurt. Right. You're not trading Brunson. Right. So. So you'd have to trade draft choices, maybe Grimes and one more guy, get James. And then when uh, Randall comes back, you got Brunson, James, and look, I don't know. I just know that Gabe, he was, he was right. going crazy. About well, it. I would just imagine that the Lakers would ask for, you know, probably a couple of, a couple of big pieces that the next number have. ones. That's all, that's all they're giving. Okay. Them. The Knicks don't have any pieces to trade. They well, have two no, guys yes. you can trade. Brunson and right. Randall and Randall's hurt. If they were fully healthy, then yes. Yeah, that would be the case. That they would have pieces to trade, but. Well, they already traded them. I know. They traded, uh, uh Barrett and they traded quickly, so. Right. right. And th- the guy they got for him, I think, is hurt. I don't even know. Oh, Ananobi. Yeah, he is. You and Gabe know more about it than I do. Yeah, well, Gabe knows way more about no, it. Oh, Gabe is just, okay. he's all over, he's sitting at breakfast. In Israel, in Jerusalem, going over trade possibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get ready for his show, trying to figure out if we can get a bomb that day. Or I know, not, but, he's you know? Really, but he's reeling us in. <laughs> he brings know. up interesting, interesting possibilities. Are you still burping up shawarma? Oh, I've been, I'll be burping up shawarma for two weeks. You know, Justin actually asked me to get him Tums at the airport in Tel Aviv. Yeah. <laughs> he went out for a late night shawarma before we left, and he yeah. was burping the whole time, farting, burping. I had to get one more. <laughs> I had to get one more in me. <laughs> then I had a double Big Mac at the airport. That was a mistake. You did what? Uh, nothing. Don't worry. About it. I'm not even gonna Wait say a second. So when you said to me, yeah, you're going to get water and tums, yeah. you went and got yourself a double Big Mac, yeah. and you were still burping up the shawarma. Yeah, yeah. You are such a filthy animal. I doubled down on it. <laughs> yeah, I love you. All right, we're going to talk to uh, Steve Bannon. I was a guest on his show last week. I return the favor. He'll join us as he does every Monday coming up. Quick look at traffic. The best in the business, Joe Nolan, Joey. Double good, double Big Macs are really good. Oh man, that thing was really. Yeah, good. Yeah, well, you got that right, Joe. But it's, oh. it was a, it was a kosher McDonald's at the airport. Just stack one on top of the. Oh, <laughs> it's on two of them. It's two of them and one piece of bread. It's great. Yeah, it really oh, it's is awesome. Great. awesome. And then you put and then you put like five McNuggets on it. And then oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. It becomes yeah, a complete yeah. abomination. <laughs> It in friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Sid Rosenberg. Sid's the morning host of, I think, the most popular morning show in the nation at WABC. I'm honored to be a contributor uh, every Monday with Sid. Bannon loves Fleetwood Mac. I mean, I guess he does. I don't know. But he did say that. I didn't write that for Steve when I was on his great show, The War Room, last Thursday. Man, did I love that experience. Steve Bannon does a tremendous podcast every week. I was on right after Tommy Tuberville, the great football coach from Auburn, turned Alabama politician. He did say with the um, 
Well, I'll just paraphrase it. The best damn effing talk show host in the country. Here he is, my friend Steve Bannon. Steve, good morning, buddy. How are you? Morning, Sid. Uh, doing great. That was a lot of fun last Thursday of being on your show. So I want to kind of turn the tables on you. You asked me. I was live in Jerusalem about Biden and, uh, you know, his um, the way he's treated Israel during this war. And, you know, of course, I gave you a long answer. I'll make it much shorter now. He's no friend of Israel, bottom line. But let me ask you the same question. What do you think about the way Biden and this administration have handled the Israel-Hamas war? Oh, I think it's been atrocious. I don't think they've had their back from the beginning. I think they sent every signal. Look, I'm not I'm an anti-advocate of a two-state solution. They've been pushing that from the beginning. I don't think they've given um, Israel any real support. I think they've given a lot of lip service. Um, I also am quite concerned about the intelligence gathering and what Israel was uh, knew before the attack, you know, took place. Hamas clearly, this was a multi-paramilitary assault over a wide geographic area, planned for years, organized for years, financed for years. American intelligence, along with Egyptian and Saudi intelligence, all worked together. I, I'm shocked that that either wasn't shared or, you know, somehow misinterpreted. So there's so many questions. I don't think Biden and particularly Biden's regime, is any friend of uh, Israel's. And I don't think, quite frankly, they're a friend of the United States. I think they're globalists, and I think they act like they're globalists. And I think this is all coming to a head right now on this border bill, uh, this continuing war in the Middle East that's expanding, and he's going about it in in kind of dribs and drabs without really thinking this thing through. So I think we're in a geopolitical and American sovereignty mess, and quite frankly, the sovereignty of Israel. You know, when I look at the characters in this administration, starting with Biden, who's a mess, uh, he may be suffering from dementia, but uh, I always say that's that's the part about him I like. It's the corrupt, evil part of Biden that really bothers me. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you look at Blinken, who just arrived in the Middle East again this morning, talking about getting the hostages out. And then you look at, um, you know, uh, Kirby and even some of these military guys, Steve, from Austin, who disappeared. He was sick for like a week and a half. Millie, the job they did in Afghanistan, which was absolutely dis- just gross, disgusting. I mean, do you remember in your lifetime, you're about the smartest guy I know, in your lifetime, a bigger bunch of clowns in any administration? It's disorganized, uh, and it's disorganized on its strategy, but particularly on the execution of that strategy. This is why I'm, I've been adamant, said about the House has to force Biden to come to the House and under the War Powers Act and actually explain what what are we doing? What is the plan? What's the plan in Ukraine? Uh, what is the plan in the Middle East? What's the plan to support our ally Israel? Uh, instead of just making these dollar requests that just we're just throwing money into a pit, we have to have a plan. Uh, and I don't think you're seeing that. And so I think from the execution part of it, it's atrocious, but even from the strategy part. And listen, he, he can't be more obvious that he doesn't like BB. He doesn't, I mean, the profanity and, and, and language that's been leaked, and that's leaked by the Biden White House about what they think of President Trump and what they think of BB, the coarse language unbecoming any, any president, and that shows you why he's not a president, he's illegitimate, uh, is disgusting. And, and to me, the American Jewish community ought to wake up to the fact that these guys are not going to have the back of Israel in the Middle East, and, and they're not really doing anything to protect the Jewish community here in the United States from a Jewish kid couldn't walk through Times Square right now without being torn apart. And I think this is an issue that needs to be addressed by the American Jewish community. 
you know, Iran, of course, is the country behind all these evil doings. And, and this administration, you look at Biden, he was Barack Obama's VP when they sat there together with John Kerry and did that Iran deal. And then he won, uh, I guess. And uh, he called Kerry right back in to do it again. You know, and we know how they've loosened restrictions. We know the six billion dollars. I mean, Biden in his two administrations has done everything he can to befriend Iran, who wants no part of being America's friend and less of Israel's friend. And I saw our friend, Steve, Donald Trump with Maria on yesterday saying that he is just about sure that Iran will have a nuclear weapon in less than 60 days. Is that right? I think it could be pretty close. I mean, the the, the Kerry and this Biden uh, apparatchiks have always uh, inclined to Persia, which is a mortal enemy, not just our ally Israel, but also to the other allies we have in the, the Gulf Emirates. This is why President Trump and his administration in 17, the first stop he made, he went to Riyadh first, Jerusalem second, and Rome third to make the case of what had to be done to step up against uh, the Persians. And all the Biden regime has done is uh, play patty cake with them. And you see the response. That's what I see the, the Red Sea, where the Houthis are nothing. You got the Iranian, uh, you know, Revolutionary Guard down there in the southern tip of uh, Saudi Arabia blocking entrance to the Suez Canal to, to all flagships that are not CCP or KGB. Uh, and, and they're, and they're <clears throat> clearly, uh, I think, starting a war on the uh, northern, uh, the northern uh, border of Israel with the with the Persian militias they've got in uh, in Lebanon. And the Biden still hasn't come forward and made the case of exactly what we're trying to do here, what we're accomplishing. I think central to that is backing Israel. Uh, and I think it's very half-hearted. And the leaks that come out from this administration couldn't be more harmful. Forget the politics of Israel right now, which I understand is quite divided, but they're at war. I mean, war inside their own borders. And it's only going to get worse in Judea, Samaria. It's only going to get worse in the northern border as they try to take care of this problem in Gaza. And all, the, all of Gaza they get is the pressure on the hostages, pressure on ceasefires, and nothing having their back to get the job done as quickly and as efficiently as possible. I knew how smart you were, Steve, when I talked to you. I was in Jerusalem, and the night before, the night before, I went to a barbecue for a bunch of soldiers who had just returned home from Jenin, which happens to be in Judea and Samaria. Uh, 200 soldiers, and if you see this video, they hugged me to a man. Every one of them hugged me and kissed me like I was a long-lost relative. They had just spent four months fighting there, not in Gaza, not in the north, but in Judea and Samaria. And, and people said to me, what do you think the biggest misconception is? And I said that there's only a war in the south. The whole country's on fire, and you yeah. nailed it. You nailed it right there, Steve Bannon. No, the whole the, the issue is war, and their backs to the sea. They're being hit at, in, in every different element with, with, uh, quite frankly, Turkey, Persia, um, you know, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, the, the guys out of Qatar are the most evil guys in the world financing uh, the Muslim Brotherhood's operation in Hamas. They're at war. And that's why what Biden's doing by leaking all this information, how what they really think of Bibi, you couldn't do it at a worse time. You don't see him doing that with Zelensky, right? Zelensky's here having a, basically a military coup because the military can't stand him anymore and won't let him uh, destroy the country anymore. Nothing about that. But every day you get other leaks about BB, other leaks about how they don't agree with the strategy. And quite frankly, they're going to try to force a two-state solution in the middle of this, which is not a solution uh, to Israel's issues. No. The Biden's going to make a big deal about a political situation when you still have a war you have to fight and a war you have to win. If the Israelis don't win this war, 
Israel won't exist as a country, as an independent nation in 20 years. Agreed. Maybe less. And uh, I can tell you this, and now I know from experience because I went. I'm so glad I went. Nobody, Steve Bannon, nobody in Israel wants a two-state solution. Let's take a short break. When we get back, Steve mentioned it, this border deal. What a nightmare this is. Looks more like amnesty. I think Johnson's right about that. And because of the border situation, how close are we to a terrorist attack right here in the United States? Trump says 100%. More with the great Steve Bannon right after this. In the morning, 77 WABC. Stuart here, do some more with uh, the great Steve Bannon. So I don't need uh, Steve James Lankford out of Oklahoma to tell me that this $118 billion bipartisan Senate bill is a good one to know what's bad because I actually saw Chuck Schumer and Al Sharpton, there's a real Mensa meeting, sitting together moments ago out of the corner of my eye on MSNBC telling me this is a great deal. But the House Republicans, Johnson included, they are pushing back, basically calling this an amnesty bill. So you've been pretty critical, Steve, on this show about Johnson the last couple of weeks. But something tells me you are with him 100% on this one, yes? A hundred percent. But even before it gets to the House, I realize Speaker Johnson, uh, Stefanik, Scalise, Emmer. So the top four leaderships of the House have all adamantly come out. Scalise, who runs the floor, said this will never come to the floor. We have a bigger fight, though. We have to kill this in the Senate. This, this is a disgrace. This is a codification of the invasion of our country. That's This is worse than open borders. This is a codification. This is putting into law the, the uh, end of American sovereignty. This is essentially saying 10 to 12 million illegal alien invaders came in on this illegitimate regime's watch, and they're going to stay here, and they're going to get work permits, and they're never going to leave. This thing is, is a disgrace. And folks in Oklahoma, which is a state that is synonymous with patriotism and sovereignty of this country, should be ashamed and humiliated that in their name, Langford negotiated this for four or five months. Look, Marco Rubio has been one of the biggest pushers for some sort of immigration bill. He was the leader of the Gang of Eight, you remember, said a couple of years ago. Yes. Marco Rubio came out in the first hour and said this bill is a parody of what a border security bill would be. So when you have voices like Marco Rubio who are leading the charge in the Senate to basically kill this bill from even and, – and, and even senators who might be uh, – who might be worked on this thing are saying we can't vote on this in 48 hours. This bill is so complicated, we should take weeks, if not months, to go through it. This is trying to be jammed through by McConnell and Schumer and Biden 
uh, here very quick, very quickly. It's not going to happen. It's I think it's going to be dead in the Senate. I'm not so sure they're going to get votes because I think they're going to be outraged. And I got to tell you, anybody that votes for this will not be reelected to the Senate, quite frankly. And I think you're seeing the end of McConnell's reign. I think after this happens, I think he will. I think there'll be big movements to remove him as the uh, as uh, the uh, minority leader. Uh, because this has been a debacle. They've done four or five months. They lied, by the way, when they were outed on War Room by Rosemary Jinks, who got a leak to her about what all the details were of this bill. We had it out there three weeks ago. Everybody picked up on it. Langford and these guys came out and said these were Internet rumors. This was all lies. And it's been proven since it was released last night. That it's absolutely 100 percent true, everything that was said. So this bill is, I think, dead on the water. And I think it's dead right now in the Senate. The House has already said they're not going to pick it up. So remember, you got Mayorkas <laughs> impeachment vote that's got to happen. They're only going to work till Wednesday. You know that this 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 is another short week. So yep. The Democrats have got to go on Wednesday. So we're going to they're going to move to impeach Mayorkas. They're going to move to censure uh, Omar, you know, for her uh, for her support of Somalia over the United States. Uh, they've got a lot to do this week. This is going to be a firestorm. And your listeners who like politics and power, I got to tell you, this is going to be the week. Yeah, Mayorkas uh, deal is today. You're right. I believe Omar is tomorrow. You know, Steve, um, I'm not as smart as you. And people come up to me and they go, "Explain this to me, Sid." I live in New York, and you know, I saw that tape of these illegals beating up cops in Times Square, and I'm aware that they've done stuff in Brooklyn at King's Plaza, and you know, they're getting pretty uh, rowdy here. They were never very appreciative when they got here. They complained about the food and the stay, believe it or not. But now they're getting violent. You know, so. We're seeing all this, and, and yet the mayor, Eric Adams, now he wants to go out and get these people credit cards, and he's still making excuses. All over the country, we're seeing all kinds of examples of violence out of these people. Why wouldn't, uh, why wouldn't somebody try to stop this in the government? And then this bill is introduced where, once again, they're going out of their way to appease these people. You've got, you got to explain this whole thing to me. I'm confused, Steve Bannon. Because they want... They, 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 they want a more compliant, they want a more compliant uh, citizenry. That they, they, they look to replace not whites. This will replace African-Americans and Hispanic citizens. They want to drive down the cost of labor. Remember, part of this provision of this bill is to give these people work permits. Because Eric Adams is saying, hey, the solution here is to give all these illegal invaders, alien invaders, work permits. Him and, 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 and by the way, the governor, the governor, Kathy Hochul, has said the same thing. And the tractors say, why would you do that? First of all, uh, you would, um, and at the very least, you would give incentive to more people to come, which we don't want to do, and you're taking jobs away from Americans. Are both of those true? The, hundred, the, the working class, uh, African-American and Hispanic working class, is being crushed. Sixty percent of our fellow countrymen live paycheck to paycheck, and they gap that with a credit card that's a 30 percent APR. They're barely hanging on. Uh, I think it's 28 percent of the people in our country, 28 percent of our citizens have zero money in the bank. I think another 22 have less than $1,000. So almost 50% of people in this country have under $1,000 in the bank, and they're living paycheck to paycheck. This is not what the founders envisioned. And what they're doing is flooding the zone. This is not with a couple of hundred thousand. Remember, Biden and them even admit they've let in $8 million. The, the Center for Immigration Studies says close to the 10, it'll be $12 million by the time President Trump returns. $12 million. They're allowing in. Uh, you know, they were over December allowing a combat division a day, 10,000 people a day. That's a combat division. There are more people led in this country illegally in the month of January than Patton fought with in Europe in World War II. The Third Army only had 300,000 men. I think they led in 320,000. 
The scale of this is unprecedented. And Biden, this is not chaos on the border. This is a detailed plan executed by Biden and Mayorkas. That's what Mayorkas is going to be impeached. They're putting a bill up that essentially makes Mayorkas in Homeland Security an emperor, if you read the details of the bill. He's the guy that executes everything in their bill. He's being impeached at the same time for failing to enforce the laws we have on the books. People should understand your audience. We don't need another new law right now, even HR2. We have more than enough authority to shut this down immediately. And I think, Sid, you're going to see on March 2nd, March 1st, we're going to shut down the government over. I don't think Johnson's going to give another CR. I think he realizes now with this bill how in, how in your face this bill was as far as being an invasion authorization bill, because that's what it is, an invasion authorization. I think he's going to fight now. And I think you'll see the government shut down. As I've said, the leverage we got is to shut down the government until Biden shuts the border. Shut the border or shut down the government. And, that, and it's going to come on March 1st. Well, they, you know, people have told me that if we do that, because Trump has said the same thing, Steve. Obviously, you guys are in agreement. You guys are most of the time. That's why I love both of you. That if we do that and shut down the border, that in short term, that would be colossal, disastrous in terms of jobs, in terms of security. Uh, everything we count on on a daily basis basically goes away. Others have said, well, ain't going to be all that bad. But it is, you're better off uh, dealing with that in the short term than the long term. What is the truth about a government shutdown? A government shutdown right now is only about 15 to 20 percent. It's none of the basic things of, of security, defense, all that. It's about it's about 15 to 20 percent of the bureaucracy. And it has to happen. It has to happen. We, we don't have a choice. We have to use our leverage right now to force the Biden regime to shut down the border. Otherwise, you're going to get more happy talk like this bill. You're going to continue on this year and add another two or three million illegal alien invaders because Biden's not shutting down the border. No African-American or Hispanic citizen of the United States should vote for these Democrats. They are just read the bill. Don't take it from Steve Bannon. They are out to crush you economically. They want to flood the zone with another 10 to 15 million low skilled workers to put pressure on wages at the lowest end to drive them down. In addition, have this massive amount of spending on social services. They're giving, they're treating them better than American citizens, giving them cash. Look what Eric Adams. New York City is going to go into bankruptcy. Your healthcare system is going to collapse. Your education system is already going to collapse. All your social services are going to collapse for American citizens, African Americans and Hispanics that live in New York City, because they're kowtowing to illegal alien invaders that have attitude. They don't put that'll beat up the cops that will sit there in the streets and give people a hard time, that live in filth, that destroying all these hotels. Look at the evidence in front of your eyes. That's the future of America, and that's mm. the future of American big cities, unless this is stopped today. The only way to do it is forget all these bills, force Biden's hand, and say, look, dude, you either shut that border down 100 percent or we're shutting down this government. We're not going to give you another penny. That's the leverage. I think it happens March 1st. Wow. In the final 60 to 90 seconds with all you just mentioned, which is a lot. I mean, really great stuff, Steve. We didn't even talk about the possibility of a terrorist attack here because of some of these people that we've allowed in, above and beyond these illegals that are screwing up hotels and, and getting all this uh, money and possibly credit cards and the rest of them. The real possibility of a terrorist attack, when Maria Bartiromo asked Donald Trump about that yesterday, here's what Trump had to say. I believe we're going to have a terrorist attack. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. You know, during my term, I had no terrorist attacks. You know that, right? So there'll be saboteurs? What are they? I had all sorts of bans on people from certain countries. I had bans all over the place. We had no attack. I had nothing. One hundred percent. Is that President Trump exaggerating or do you buy into that? President Trump is one hundred percent correct. And remember, 
all those restrictions. We had none of this on President Trump's watch. And the Supreme Court backed up 100 percent everything President Trump did. This is why President Trump's going to win in a landslide, no matter how much they try to steal it. The nation's basic sovereignty and the sovereignty of our citizens, particularly those citizens lower down the economic chain, is under enormous pressure now. We have to stand up for our fellow Americans. We do that by standing up to the Biden regime right now, shutting down this government. And he's, President Trump's correct. Two-thirds of the people who come across are fighting-age men. You've seen it in New York City. Just look at your, with your own eyes and see what's happened. That's going to happen in the United States, and you're definitely going to have terrorist attacks here. Oh, my God. Steve, you're, uh, you're incredible. You're really uh, – God, I love you. Thank you for doing this. And, and I say it all the time, man. The new year started with you coming on every Monday morning, and that has made my show exponentially better. So thank you so much. You're great. I appreciate it, buddy. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, Sid. Can't wait to get you back on uh, War Room. I can't wait to come back on. That was an awesome, awesome time. War Room with Steve Bannon, folks. you got to check that out. That is a great podcast. He's got amazing guests, and he breaks it down like he did just here. My friend, the great Steve Bannon. That wraps up hour number three. bit late, but okay. We only have one guest in the last hour, Anthony D'Esposito, so I kind of pushed it there because it was so good. We'll come back with the fourth and final hour. No one with the news right after this. Hey, now. Friends in the morning. Seventy-seven WABC. Lady love never smiles. So lend your love to me a while. Do with me what you will. Break the spell. Take your feel. Song. Thank you, Lou Rufino, 921, Monday morning. We are back and back kicking ass. What an unbelievable show it's been today, i got to say myself. Jacqueline Toboroff, Curtis Slewar, Rich Lowry, Alex Trayman, and Steve Bannon. 
Anthony D'Esposito is one of the great house members. He's become my guy. I got a guy and I got a girl. My guy is Anthony. My girl's Nancy. Anthony D'Esposito and Nancy Mace. Anthony out of Long Island, kind enough to join us right after Bannon. So uh, you could probably guess what Bannon thinks about this $118, $118 billion bill. Wipe your ass with it. He doesn't think it even makes it through the Senate. You guys in the House, of course, hate it. But he doesn't think it's going to get through the Senate. What do you think about that? So I think uh, I agree. I mean, I think it's a $118 billion spineless sellout uh, that incentivizes the invasion or surrender that we have at our border. And I think our majority leader, Steve Scalise, said it best that uh, it won't even make it to the floor for consideration. Did you hear Bannon before? Because he almost said the same exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't, but it's, it's the yeah. truth. I mean, that's what we're dealing with. I mean, when, you, when you're going to tell us that you've been negotiating for four months and the best that you could come up with is allowing between 1.5 and 1.8 million additional people across our southern border, uh, dumping money all throughout the, the world, um, and not securing our southern border and actually giving people the incentive to come into this country, uh, I don't see that's ha- that, how that's fixing the problem. No, it's making it worse. So, Anthony, tell me this. How does Chuck Schumer, I, I have no idea how this guy's lasted this long. I just don't think people pay attention. That's the problem. He's sitting there with Al Sharpton, two menses on MSNBC. Then you get James Langford out of the great state of Oklahoma. What kind of argument are these guys making? Because you just said it. There is no argument for this. There is no argument, and I think that's part of the problem. I think that they live in, like, this fantasy world and this bubble that they don't actually speak to constituents or watch news or, or talk to people in the streets and go out to the community and listen to people. I mean, this is, this is no longer a conservative Republican issue, and it shouldn't be. It's, a, it's not a Democrat issue. It's not a, it's, this is an American issue. We have an, an invasion at our southern border. We're breaking records that we haven't seen in our lifetime and these guys are saying, well, let's allow another $2 million in and we should give incentives as to coming into this country. It's not all about immigration. It's about border security. It's about making sure that this country is safe so that we don't have t- people on the terror watch list sneaking in, into our country to cause us harm. That's what this is about. How, how anyone could think that this is a, a step in a positive direction is, is beyond explanation. Maybe when you sit down with these uh, assholes, <laughs> some of these Democrats, you should play the video of our cops getting their asses kicked in Times Square by some of these uh, people who came across the border, not even terrorists, just everyday illegals. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you see that what happened in, in New York, and, and these are, you know, men and women that uh, are same uniform that I was proud to wear, and you see Democrats, people across the country, oh, thoughts and prayers with the people from the NYPD, like, take your thoughts and prayers and shove them. Let's secure our border and keep our people safe. That's what this is about. Well, let's talk about the border then, because you guys are going to be very busy, according to Bannon, Wednesday, uh, another break. I guess the Democrats are taking a break on Wednesday. So the next two days promise to be very busy. Correct me if I get the scheduling wrong, but I believe today we're going to start the impeachment process for Mayorkas, uh, the man who has overseen this border. Is that correct? Yeah, so today the uh, the impeachment, uh, the articles of impeachment are heading to the Rules Committee, which is the first step. Um, after it leaves committee. So we voted on the Homeland Security Committee. I think it was last Tuesday or, or early Wednesday morning by the time it was all finished up uh, to send these uh, articles of impeachment to the House floor. So it will go to rules uh, to make sure that it's in order. I'm assuming it will it will come through rules. And then um, our majority leader, Steve Scalise, will schedule a time in the next couple of days for, hit, for it to hit to the floor for, for a vote. Okay, so that's uh, Mallorca's today, and then uh, is it tomorrow when uh, you guys look to censure Omar for her, uh, really, uh, not ridiculous, uh, downright un-American, disgusting comments about Somalia? 
Yeah, that's either uh, tomorrow or Wednesday, but nonetheless, it should be before we, we head back to the district. And it's, uh, it's a censure that uh, is much needed. I mean, she's someone who doesn't even belong or uh, should be uh, entitled to serve in the House of Representatives. It should be an honor to serve in one of the America's oldest institutions. And she not only takes it for granted, but she spits in the face of so many. She deserves to be out. You know, I just got back from Israel. You and I talked while I was there. You made that really nice video before I left. And I got to tell you, now that I'm back here, uh, whatever patience I had, I had very little as it is. You know that, Anthony. But whatever patience I had, it is gone. Uh, Pro-Palestinian people walking in the streets, I want to punch them all across the face. I really do. I want to punch them all across the face. When I hear Rashida Tlaib spill her nonsense or Omar, they should go down to where I was on Friday, down there right by Gaza. Look at the cars incinerated by RPGs. Look at the cars riddled with bullets with X's on the windshields where little kids and people died trying to leave a concert. Go to the kibbutzim where there's still blood, still blood four months later from the babies that cut their heads off and the girls they raped. Or go to Nova Music Festival and take a look at all these beautiful 8x10s of gorgeous people that died right there. Not just died, but were raped and tortured. They had their uh, their body parts cut off before they shot them to death. They should see all of that before they start telling me about the river to the sea and these murderous lowlifes. They're absolutely skewed by hate. Uh, they don't look at democracy. They don't look at this nation. They don't look at its allies. They are so uh, obsessed with their with their own hatred, with their own beliefs. Um, they are completely anti-American. And, and like I said, they, they have no right to serve in the House of Representatives. It's honestly disgusting. And the fact that Democrats associate with, with themselves and, and caucus with these individuals, I think, speaks volume uh, about the Democratic Party in this country right now. I mean, I commend you guys for the censure process because it's really all you can do. You can't kick them out. Wouldn't it be great if there was some way to expel these people? I mean, uh, if I know if I know censure correct, you know, they stand up there and you yell at them and you try to embarrass them, but these people don't care. I don't, I don't believe they even care, Anthony. Yeah, well, people like this don't get embarrassed. They wouldn't be saying the things that they say and doing the things that they do if they had any anything in their in their bodies that uh, they were ever embarrassed about anything. That's clear. Tell me about Mozzie Pillip. This race is now just nine days away. Uh, there's even people who were detractors like Curtis Sliwa initially that have really hopped on board. Part of that is because they really like Mozzie, and part of that is they really don't like Tom Swazi. Tell me about this race and what you expect. Mozzie's doing great. I mean, we had a great weekend, a lot of excitement. We have tons of people out on the streets. Uh, the first couple of days of early voting saw uh, great numbers in, in the Republican areas. Uh, that we we wanted to have a strong turnout in. I mean, and and you could see Swazi. He's backstepping uh, every step of the way. I mean, he's now talking about the fact that uh, you know, well, I'm concerned because the Nassau County Republican Committee under under Chairman Cairo, they're one of the strongest committees in the country. They drive turnout. My party is upset about immigration and 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 the, the border, and the Democrats haven't haven't done enough. And you know, I want to fix it. Tom, you're the one who broke it. It's your party. It's the Democrats. It's it's Joe Biden, it's Mayorkas, it's the party that you were there. You caused these issues. You were the one who wanted to make Nassau County uh, or the Glen Clover Sanctuary City. You were the one who threw ice out of the Nassau County jails. I mean, the fact that he is now realizing uh, that everything that he's campaigned on on his whole life, the fact that he voted with Joe Biden 100 percent of the time, the fact that he voted with the squad nearly 90 percent of the time. I mean, all of this is coming back to haunt him, but he can't escape it. He's not the person for the job. He's not the person to represent the third congressional district, and he's not the person to carry the American values that we need in Washington, D.C., and we need Mozzie Pillip to be part of the uh, of the Long Island Four. On the way out here, if you had that $118 billion 
instead of wasting it on that awful Senate bill, which is not going to make it anyway. And you can play it on Sunday, Anthony. You taking the Chiefs or the 49ers? Uh, I'm taking the 49ers. Really? Yeah, I, uh, I I think it's their time. We're going to see that. I think you know, they they played a great game uh, last Sunday, so I'm looking forward to a good game. I'm hoping a couple of my boxes hit. And one other thing that we didn't talk about quickly, but I think it's going to be on the floor this week, is that single bill for Israel to get the funding over. Yeah, tell me about now. that. I think it's uh, looking at about, because uh, you've been on this from the very beginning. I love that about yeah. you. Enough with Ukraine. Sorry, Pete King. We've all had enough. Everybody <laughs> has had enough. Is that about $18 billion for Israel alone? Yeah, $18 billion, it's on a standalone bill. Um, Mike Johnson sent a uh, Speaker Johnson, uh, who was in town uh, uh, last Friday campaigning with us, and Mozzie Pillup, he came down uh, and did a fundraiser for Mozzie. It was great. Um, and he heard from a lot of the Jewish community, whether it was the five towns, whether it was up in Great Neck from the Mishadi community. Um, and I think it was, a, it, it was you know, further to, to really for him to understand how important it is for us to have this standalone bill and get the money to, to, uh, to Israel. So I'm looking forward to uh, casting my vote in favor of that and getting the money to our greatest ally that they deserve. And, and, and one question for you, um, h- how soon do you want to go back to Israel? Because I know the first time that I visited, uh, I wanted to go back as soon as possible. Tomorrow? Yeah. Right? It's a beautiful place. <laughs> I mean, and, and was it as life-changing as I said it would be? Yeah, it was even more. And you did say yeah. that. You did say that in your video and in our personal conversations. And, Anthony, to be honest, a bunch of people told me that. But, you know, you got to see it and feel it first. It yeah. was it was a real life-changer on, on so many yeah. levels, some of which I think uh, I don't even realize yet. But, yeah, it's hard to explain in words. you got to be there, man. It's it's Absolutely. like no it's like no other place in the world. I mean, I've been to so many beautiful places in my life, but the, this one, not just beautiful, but the spirituality, the resilience, the people, yeah. there's no place like it in the world. Fair to say? I, no, I agree. Listen, growing up as a Roman Catholic and uh, being in Israel and, and legitimately seeing uh, the, the scripture that I've read my whole life literally jump off the pages and come to life and see where it happened, I mean, it's a life-changing experience, and I, I, I say it all the time. I, I I wish more people, you know, people say, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, oh, you got to go to Rome, you got to visit Rome. The place you got to visit first is Israel. That's yeah. where it all started, and, and that's uh, really where it all comes from. But I'm glad you were there. I look forward to talking to you about it, and uh, thanks always for everything. Oh, man, I love you, Anthony. Really terrific job. Good luck with all your work in the house this week, and as always, it's a great appearance, and you're just a terrific guy. Thank you so much. Thanks, brother. Be good. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Anthony D'Esposito right there, house member. And uh, a mensch. He really is. He is a mensch. We'll take a short break. More of Sid and Friends in the morning on this epic post-Israel Monday. Exclusively right here. Talk Radio 77. WABC. Def Leppard. Come on. Sitting friends in the morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. 
Psychedelic furs, pretty in pink, 941. Again, special thanks to Scott Feltman, people over at the One Israel Fund, and Yehuda Hanukman and all our folks in Israel. We will continue to cover Israel uh, closely because, again, this probability, not possibility, probability of the war in the north makes, uh, makes that a very, very serious issue. As well as all we covered here today, we uh, dug right in, man. Eric Adams, the credit cards, beating up the cops, uh, Trump. We really covered everything today. But one thing we did not cover, one thing that the MSNBC show covered, that CNN covered, that I believe even Fox News covered. We didn't cover it. Never mentioned it once. I'll do it now. 18 minutes to the end of the show after discussing serious stuff, not so serious stuff like the Chiefs and the 49ers. You ready for this? We didn't touch it yet today. Last night on some channel, I don't even know what channel it was, nor do I care. They had the Grammy Awards. I get my Philip Taylor Swift watching a Chiefs football game, and you have to excuse me, but I've never heard of Killer Mike, the rapper, nor have I ever heard even one song from Killer Mike, the rapper, till this morning. And I can promise you this, I will never listen to Killer Rap, Killer Mike, the rapper. Get it right. Ever again. There was a time I never missed the Grammy Awards because I love music, and so does Lewis. As you can tell, I, people stopped me even in Israel. I swear, Justin could attest to this, and talked about how they love the music on this show. Well, I hate the music today. I don't dislike it. I hate it. And the stars are a bunch of... I'm going to sound old. I get it. They look like a bunch of convicts. I've had enough. It's garbage. I mean, real garbage. They got to bring back some old band in their 80s, like the Stones, just to keep me interested for more than three minutes. So I didn't watch it last night. I'm glad I didn't, because everything I've read this morning says to me, all the things that have gotten worse in this country, music may be right there at the top of the list. It's a mess. It's a mess, and you don't have to you don't have to quantify it by saying you're old, which I am too. So it's not for us. But who's it for? <laughs> it's I, I don't know. But I was talking to those guys out in the newsroom, and the all the themes of everything of the artists that come out today are sad, depressing. What is my life about? Where, who am I in this world? If mm. you really listen closely, mm. and the music it sucks. Yeah. So there were the first four acts. Maybe Dua Lipa was okay. She's 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 up. okay. But I like the, when she does the Elton John song with him. Okay, but the other things. I'm sorry, Billie Eilish. The song. Oh, enough with her. If you didn't stab yourself. Yeah. And if you're alive this morning and you watched the first hour <laughs> of the Grammys. God bless you. Well, who because else was on? Billie it, Eilish, who else? Um, Miley Cyrus was great. She's great. She's great. Yeah. And, of course, 
the the papers condemned her. Were like, oh, you, she was a she was too happy. She was too save it for Vegas. Meanwhile, they they praised the Billie Eilish, which was a dirge. I mean, the funeral marches sound more upbeat. I believe you. Yeah. I swear to God. No, I believe it's, you. It's no wonder there's fentanyl and kids going. I mean, they're sad and they want to kill themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. The music is so terrible. Terrible. And uh, and they're this, not likable, these acts. No. They're all bitching and complaining and they're all making a ton of money. For nothing. It's it's uh, this thing with fast car. So Tracy Chapman yeah, showed yeah, up yeah, with yeah. Luke Combs, and everybody's standing and applauding. It's a terrible freaking. It's a it's sad, just, depressing. It's just an okay song. Yes. At best. I mean, God, that, but, that, that's your uh, big highlight. But Tracy going, Chapman and uh, Luke Combs. And they're going on and on. Oh. About what a great songwriter. I mean, she one is. thing if uh, somebody <laughs> came and sang "Born to Run" or you know "Freebird." No, there's no. When these guys are all dead. You're never going to see no, rock it's and over, roll I know. again. That's no, no, it. I mean, no. You'll have one station in New York, Jim no. Kerr, and one station in Miami. But you're right; they'll never be on stage no. ever again. No, it'll all. No, nah, be... I shouldn't say that. Yeah, the Jonas Brothers may come out and do a Stones thing just to, until we die. We, yeah, but it's not going to be the same. No, like, I know. There's no acts coming out like that that are at the Grammys. That's Nothing, the right? problem. Joni Mitchell supposedly was the highlight, one of the highlights, and she played. But She's Joni saying. Mitchell is. Like a hundred years old. Yeah. She played at Woodstock, Joni Mitchell. Right. So it doesn't make any sense. You know, sense. you too used to go to the Grammys. No you, no side of you too. They right? were, no, they did something from Vegas. See, they, 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 they showed a From the sphere, probably. Right. So people said that was unnecessary because they didn't even have a, a song nominated. And what do they do? Yeah. They do it every year, I guess. Yeah. But it, the, you didn't need them. But you don't have anybody yeah. who's a rock. Everything yeah. is piano and. Why am I in this world theme? Yeah. That's what it and then you get this, all about. And then you get the stupid rap generation. And that's it, and hip-hop. Which is gross. And you got that stupid... Jay-Z was complaining that Beyonce didn't get album of the year, so he's already complained. What's he complaining about? That they didn't... She didn't get... Well, haven't they, they, haven't they gotten know, enough between you, money and awards? No, and they haven't gotten enough. No, Jay-Z hasn't had enough? No, yeah. it's, a, it's so ridiculous. Oh, God, I despise no, all these it, people. Music I despise is... them. I despise the Arabs. I despise America. <laughs> I don't know where to go. <laughs> I swear to God, I really don't. Well, the space program's still going, so... Yeah, try that out. <laughs> Open a swarmer stand on Mars with Justin. And you just, you are <laughs> lost in the music. You have no idea what's going on when they're performing. Yeah. It was, it's a mess. It's just, and everybody's standing like... It was the greatest thing oh, they've they, ever they heard. Oh, they yell and scream. I don't, and, Joseph Abu yeah, checks in. He says, music, like fashion, has never been so dismal and depressing. Good good words. Watch the Netflix, Netflix documentary about making We Are the World to be inspired. Now, that was a, that, that was a collection of greats. And I saw clips of How that. How was That's, that? It's good. Yeah. Because you see these artists who group together right. and are trying to do their section when it comes to them singing, because they all are going yeah, off yeah, each yeah. other. Oh, and it's fascinating. Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, Stevie Huey Wonder, Huey Lewis, Lewis and uh, even uh, Girls just want to have fun. What's her name? Uh, Kenny Loggins. Kenny Loggins. Cindy Lauper. The clip of Bob Dylan in that is going viral because yeah. they have him just standing there and he gets lost and all these people Well, you know him. what? Just because of that, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to play it on the way out of here. <laughs> right. Sitting friends in the morning on a Monday. Entertaining and informative. This is Sitting Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC.
time When we heed a certain call When the world must come together as one There are people dying Oh, when it's time to lend a hand to life The greatest gift of Someone, somewhere will soon make a change We all a part of God's great big family And the truth, you know love is all we This one goes to you. We are the world. And believe me when I tell you, just getting back from Israel yesterday, Michael Jackson right here. Let me hear some of this. I'll make my final point. Come on, baby. Cindy Lauper. Just getting back from Israel, man. The world is a really, really rough place. And they can do all the... Honoring of the Noble Music Festival they want at the Grammys. They don't get it. Most of you here don't get it. I'm not better than you. I just did something most of you haven't done. I went, as did my birthday friend Justin today. We are the world, we are the children, and we are in danger. Not just in Israel, but all over the world. Here in New York, you name it. Things need to get fixed in a hurry. There's only one way to do it, folks. Your vote counts. Trump. 2024. Falu Rufino, Justin Ellick, the birthday boy, Curtis Sliwa, Noam Layton, the whole crew. We'll be back at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning once again, live from New York City. Until then, folks, we are the world. Peace. Peace.